Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date, everybody. It's been a long time, but it's back. It's a Star Trek's week. Oh, God, it sure is. Yeah, it's, uh, we're like in mid-January. We haven't done one of these since early December. Yes, and it feels like a lot longer. Yeah. Like, when I was like, well, I gotta start watching these now, I didn't want to. No, yeah, well, also, these episodes, um, spoiler alert, everybody, these episodes were mostly garbage. So, yeah, but even before I knew that, I was like, I like my life so much better when I don't have to do this project. When you don't have to spend whatever we averaged it out to be every week. Uh, yeah, I mean, there was a point last week where I was like, I got to watch five episodes of Star Trek. You knocked five them out. of them. You got them done um, on the weekend, so you yeah, I finished job. them up on the weekend, so that that's good. Yeah, but we'll be back um, into it. We'll do these every other week or whatever. Uh, That's right, and, and we we gave uh, we gave it enough time that we do have remarks from Ben this week. So yes, that's uh, we will that's rem- all very good. We will try to remember to put those in. So yeah, let's um, let's jump into this motherfucker. Yeah, for sure. This week we watched the alternative factor. I did miss the theme song. Yeah, that's nice. Right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um well i've said it before but this week uh that's the best part of this episode yep the enterprise is in the middle of some kind of boring survey uh when the ship is rocked by a disturbance and everything around the ship blinks out afterwards they detect a life form on the previously uninhabited planet below and kirk and spock beamed beam down with some armed guards to investigate they find um, Nibbler's spaceship from Futurama. <laughs> yep, it literally looks like some fucking Jetsons-ass shit. And a dude that I was sure for ten seconds was a Klingon because of his facial hair. Because they made him look like a Klingon. They dressed him like a Klingon. And, uh, they I mean, they didn't put burnt cork on his face. But, you know, like he was a pale Klingon. Yeah, he was a albino Klingon, and he had the piercing blue eyes that we've come to expect from every Star Trek character. I just uh, whoever the the DP is on Star Trek, I, I kind of want him to just take every picture of me because it's like, hey, I got blue eyes. You would look wild eyed like all of these people. Would these my would creatures. my eyes look blue like that in pictures if this guy was lighting and shooting me? Also, would you be acting as hard as you could? Is there any other way? Okay. Uh, anyway, this dude is ranting uh, about stopping him before it's too late. Mm-hmm. So they uh. They go on up to the Enterprise, and Kirk gets a message from Commodore Barstow. And he gives Kirk the order to uh, determine whether or not the effect, which it turned out was felt sector-wide in a, a pre-visioning of We'll Always Have Paris, mm-hmm. uh, is a prelude to invasion. 
this is they come to this after a lot of study i would say oh no wait no they all just sit, are sitting on the bridge and they're like prelude to invasion and Kirk's like that's what i was thinking i was gonna say that i said prelude you know to invasion. you know the scene in the phantom menace where they're in the throne room and the guy with the white beard mm-hmm. uh the guy played by andy dick in that one skit maybe <laughs> okay I thought he played a Jedi, but I don't oh, know. Oh, okay. So maybe we're talking about someone else. There. Anyway, this dude, whose name I once knew, but now can no longer remember, tells uh, Queen Amidala oh, that, that a communications blackout can only be a prelude to invasion. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, where it's just like, I don't know. Like, my power went out last week. Was that a prelude to invasion? <laughs> yeah, but at least those guys had an enemy in orbit. That's right. It's much less crazy when they said the, it. This TOS is just like, uh, I don't know, we, if we encountered a weird stellar phenomena, it's a prelude to invasion. Hey, something impossible happened that um, we are confirming affected areas outside of our galaxy. Do you think it's a prelude to invasion of our little space federation? I definitely think it is, and I Anyway, agree. let's go to Code 1. Yep. Um, anyway, Kirk's, he, Kirk's got the job of figuring that out, and I guess stopping it. Yeah. And he is told ahead of time that there will be no help coming. Yeah, they didn't even do the you're the only ship in area. They did the we're taking every other ship out of the area. Yeah, we're we're spreading them out. We're spreading them thin for some reason. Yeah. Uh anyway, the man from down on the planet below, whose name is Lazarus. Great. Uh claims to be the last survivor of a civilization destroyed by uh the devil's own spawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was spared because he was inspecting magnetic satellites. I thought that would have something to do with the plot. It does not. No. Yeah, no. Uh, Spock calls him a big old liar. And then the whole uh, winking in and out thing happens again. And we see him fighting another man in some kind of weird negative space. Which they go back to many times for this episode and also was my favorite part of the episode. Yeah, it's, uh, well, it's most of, it's like, there's like probably four solid minutes of that effect. I couldn't, the first time I kind of zoned out and didn't realize how long it had been going on, and then woke up and went, wait, wait a minute, where'd my episode go? I want my episode back. Um, uh, Lazarus returns battered and bleeding from this fight. Uh, up in sickbay, Dr. McCoy's got a little bit of a puzzle on his hand, because, uh, a wound that he treated seems to have disappeared from the guy. Also, McCoy's the worst in this episode. He doesn't seem to really give a shit about anything he, that happens. He doesn't care about anything. Kirk's like, well, where is he now? And McCoy's like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about it when we talk about characterization. It's real bad. Yeah. Um, but we find McCoy, uh, we find Lazarus, rather, uh, sitting in the crew lounge, and he perks up when he hears someone uh, say the word dilithium crystals. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he has another episode, and all of a sudden he's got that abrasion on his forehead that was missing before. So we know what's going on at this point. Well, but if you have... Don't yeah. worry, it's going to take him a long time. If you got the brains, it's not hard to figure out at that yeah. point. Well, we also have a clue that the rest of them don't have, which is we saw him fighting with, a, with uh, a another dude. man shape yeah. in, a, in weird space. And none of them saw that, so... Anyway. Well, then they missed the best part of the episode, too. They find uh, a source of radiation on the planet, um, but it's also not there, according to Spock. It's there and it's not there. Spock's not very helpful in this episode. And it's a rip in the universe. 
Now, Lazarus wants some of them dilithium crystals. Mm-hmm. We saw the other, other Lazarus perk up when he heard him. But now this Lazarus hears someone say dilithium crystals, and he's into it. And he wants to use them to kill the other one. Um, but because they are crucial components, Kirk, of course, cannot give them to him. Yes, at this point, we have figured out as the viewer that uh, there's Lazarus and there's Lazarus negative. Yeah, well, we haven't figured out that part because right. they haven't invented it. Right, but you know what I mean. There's two There's two of them. Now the healed Lazarus reappears, and he makes his way to engineering, where he knocks out Lieutenant Masters, who is filling in for Scotty in this episode, mm-hmm. in a way that is not explained. But uh, she gets to live, so that's good. James Dewan didn't show up to work, so... Now he was just drinking or something. There's a lot of that going on in this episode. Uh, Lazarus steals two of the, two of the crystals. Then, God, I feel like such an asshole. Then we're back to injured Lazarus. You should feel like an asshole. My descriptions are not going to be anywhere near this long. Denies it was him. They go looking for him on the planet with a search party. Then there's another episode, and Kirk and Lazarus falls from a high ledge, and ends up in sick bay again. And now Kirk has got like a computer report that says his first hit the the first story that he told him was a make me up. <laughs> and he's got a computer report, so what's Lazarus gonna do? Right. Well, now he reveals that his spaceship is a time chamber. Yeah. And that he has pursued his quarry to a dead future. And I guess back. Yep. Kirk and Spock have a little powwow on the bridge and conclude via a wild chain of assumptions that the radiation came from outside their universe a parallel dimension and a minus universe at that yep then they deduce that the other lazarus is chasing a version of himself and finally that their universe is in danger of annihilating with an antimatter universe there is no evidence for any of this but if we except uh, for the two lazaruses that one we're pretty cool with we but must. the whole the other universe is antimatter and everything's gonna blow up there's really no solid reason to believe that's true. Unfortunately, as soon as they say it, it is Star Trek canon that it's what happened. Yeah. Spock read it in the script. Mm-hmm. Um, then the other Lazarus sabotages engineering and takes the other two dilithium crystals. Oh, boner. Uh, he, slits, he puts them in the Federation dilithium crystal slot in his ship. Yep, obviously. And sets it up to create a gateway. But Kirk shows up and accidentally gets sent into the other universe instead. Which is the soundstage. Right. That one's weird, too. Yep. There he meets the other Lazarus, who turns out to be the good Lazarus. And he reveals that when their society discovered a means to connect to another universe, the thought that there was another Lazarus out there made this Lazarus insane. And that he, I guess he's killed everybody on that planet. That's uh, not so clear. He, he, well, that's definitely the impression that I got. Yeah. And anyway, now he wants to mutually annihilate both universes because he's mad. Right. Because of his madness. So good Lazarus, which I think is the not injured Lazarus. I don't remember. <laughs> it's I not a good episode. I can't remember either. It, when we saw Good Kirk and Bad Kirk, they wore different tunics. Yeah, that was helpful. That was helpful. Also, one of them was an animal. I wish I wish Lazarus had been that helpful. Yeah. Uh, so he sends Kirk back, 
to wrestle ra- old Lazarus into a corridor, into the corridor, where he will keep him trapped while Kirk blows up his ship. So then the two of them will be fighting for all eternity in that weird negative space, but both universes will be safe. Right. Uh, that's what happens. Plan goes off without a hitch. Yep. <clears throat> mm. Mm? I, um... I had real trouble with this episode. First of all, it's not good. Yeah. Despite the fact that everything I just said sounds like if you threw the plots of every Star Trek, the original series episode, into a blender and then poured this out onto a piece of paper, right. it's not fun to watch. No. It was not fun. I didn't enjoy it at all, actually. Again, the best part of the episode was the creepy negative space where they were fighting. And it did happen several times, but then it always went back to the shitty plot. And it was like, oh boy, when are they going to get back into that? When's it going to be fucking WrestleMania again? Because that's what I'm gearing up for. But to get back to Marjan's old argument, maybe it doesn't matter that this was a pile of dog shit because it had such an important premise. Matt, what's the premise of this episode? I try not to give things zero, like like a no-take score, unless I am really, really... sure that I've exhausted all possibilities. Have you ever done a no-take? I think I've done one no-take. Uh, I have to go back and do the research and figure out what I know I've was. done exactly one no-take. I'd have to open for... up Landry, which I should have open anyway. Uh, you did a no-take for Voyager's Twisted. Okay. Don't even but remember you what... still felt like it was worth a point for execution somehow. Don't even remember what which that episode was. You don't have my policy of if it's a no-take, it gets no points for execution also. Yeah, because I think execution is partially executing the take and partially just general Making execution. TV. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, anyway. look, we can go back and start over with a fifth category <laughs> called Is It TV if you want. <laughs> I, um... I, so I gave it some thought, and here's what I came up with for a fat two-point take. <laughs> okay. I guess this is a metaphor about being your own worst enemy. And the guy is... Metaphor, like, because he's fighting himself, like a negative version of himself. And uh, they probably wanted to make a metaphor there, because it sounds like a metaphor. I'll explain. It seems like it should be, yeah. I'll explain, but it won't be satisfying. It might get into execution a little bit, and I apologize if it does. I'm guessing dumbass here, again, I couldn't really follow this plot. I'm guessing dumbass here accidentally exposed his antimatter universe to his doppelganger's real thing universe, or vice versa, and destroyed his dang old planet. I wish they would have said that. And that's why he's so mad at him, and wants him to die. And um, since it's just him in another universe, um, I guess he's supposed to be, like, guilty about it, while other him hunts him endlessly looking for revenge. It's like it's about not being able to forgive yourself, except it's never introduced as a metaphor, and no one else in the episode is dealing with anything like this, so it can't be compared in, like, a sick-as-hell monologue at the end of the episode or anything. Right, so it's yeah. all pointless. Also, they don't they don't say that he made any mistakes or did a whoopsie of any kind. Does he re- did they really say he just did it on purpose? Like he's just because the guy's like he killed everyone on my whole world or whatever. Is that just is that was that on purpose? But that was after he was already an insano. Oh. Well, anyway, so it's pointless and it means nothing, and it's just weird stuff in space essentially. Yeah. But I gave it yeah. two because it's it's you know I'll give it one. Give it one. Okay. Give it one, because right. I feel like there was a metaphor there if they decided to make it a metaphor. But they didn't. They didn't make it a metaphor. Okay, so for three days, I had no take for this. Mm-hmm. And, of course, a no take is a zero. Yeah. But here, I eventually talked myself into using this thing that Spock says very clearly out loud as the take. Okay. Oh, boy. 
so I, I will attempt to justify it. <laughs> like if we're both trying so hard <laughs> to it's give diff- the points. It's super difficult. Again, so. the, this is the business that we've gotten into, is doing way more work than the writers. Here it is, my boy. Madness has no purpose or reason, but it may have a goal. Hmm. Well, what's that worth? Oh, that's one point. Okay, cool. <laughs> right. A little musing on the nature of madness. So here, here it is. This is a guy who has the power to destroy two universes. Mm-hmm. It's kind. Of, it's an awesome power, and it's terrifying. Also, he's super insane. Right. That's the bad situation they're up against. Now, they don't know that they're in that situation until mm, five minutes before the episode ends. Right. That's bad storytelling. Absolutely. But what, what do you do if the most powerful thing in the world, like, say, nuclear weapons... Okay. Oh, okay, okay. I can see where we're going ...are in the hands this. of a madman, like, say... Who was the Soviet premier in 1967? Was, was it still Khrushchev, or was, was he gone Khrushchev? already? I don't know. I don't, I don't know either. There were, like, five of them boys real quick. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if he survived that long Khrushchev after... I don't know if he survived that long after the Cuban Missile Crisis. I think people felt like he kind of weak sauced out over there. Um, Wasn't good for him professionally. Well, all right, I'll just look it up. Soviet premier. I'm just gonna. I'll just. Oh, I think we're technically this would be in sixty. Yep. Eight, maybe sixty-seven, sixty-eight. All right, from nineteen. This. Oh, that doesn't seem right. Was he not the premier? I thought he was the premier. Do they have a different title? Is oh, premier here we go. Incorrect? I got it. I got it. Um, Kosygin. Oh, so it was one of those. Um... Alexei Kosygin. No, but he. Oh God, Alexei just woke up. He's <laughs> gonna buy you a ton of gin now. <laughs> um, maybe he Buying wasn't. Was ten he pieces not, was... of gin. Was he not premier? Because I thought he was. No, he was premier. But then I don't recognize any of these dang old boys after it. Like, well, maybe premier is not what I meant. Yeah. But Khrushchev was premier, so that's why I'm confused. Yeah, that's about true. It. I'm conf- I'm confused about it. Anyway, sorry everybody. I confused. I got confused. So I mean, it's a horrifying thought, right? Yeah, it was Brezhnev after him. Brezhnev. It was Brezhnev. I should have. I feel like once you said that, I should have known that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that would have been a good metaphor. Except I also don't think they made that metaphor. But sure. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Spock says that thing about madness. That's what. And he that's does. the probably the best line in the episode because it's pretty bad. He and Spock himself has a lot of bad lines. What? Uh, what was this execution wise? So. Okay. Um, so just as a start, nothing in this old boy makes any sense. Mm-hmm. It's just nonsense from top to bottom. Right. Uh, I did think as a filmmaking technique, it was interesting that we cut into the end of Lazarus's first conversation with Kirk, where he like tells him his name and explains what's happening. Right. So that we pick up the rest of that story in bits and pieces throughout the episode. Like, I, I forget when they first call him Lazarus. Maybe down on the planet. Yeah. But it's not in that conversation. So, I thought that that uh, film, filmic technique was successful. Okay. Unlike many of the DS9 techniques we have seen. Right. Um, How do you think this negative effect 
worked on a 13-inch TV. Do you think you could even understand, looking at it, that there were two people wrestling in there? You probably had to, like, get up real close to the screen and squint a lot and be like, what are them Martha, what's Martha, what's happening on the, the Star Trek program? What are they... What are they doing? Oh, damn it, TVs still suck real bad, and the closer I get, the more giant pixels I see. This isn't helping me at all. Uh, I also wondered if this was the worst ending in the series so far. Um, Their well, little on-the-bridge, on what would it be like? <laughs> or how, how would it be? I forget what Kirk says twice. It really felt like this episode... Um, was filler even from their perspective. Like, they just didn't know what to do. They were a week short. Yeah, we're coming to the end of season one. And they just threw a thing together because it's garbage. Although, actually, this was... This was in sequence much earlier. I think it got delayed for some reason. Right. Uh, I gave it a one for execution. And that one is entirely because I thought at least they tried one cinematography. They did a cinematography, so they ha- I can't give them zero points for it. Yeah, I also gave them one. This episode was pointless Ooh. and dumb. It was pointless and dumb. The only part I found entertaining was this guy's acting. Lazarus was wild. Oh, yeah. He was a wild animal. He was Kwong Su of the, of the cosmos. Oh, yeah, he did, he did not-so guest acting. Yeah. <clears throat> So I gave it a, I gave it as much as a one for that. I guess at this point we should uh, kick on over to Ben. So I oh, gave yeah. it two through the first half. You gave it two through the first half. Uh, ben in the first half gives it a total of two. Yeah. Uh, he gives it a zero take with the question, what was this about? I think this will be a legit not take call right here. And I can't disagree with The him. only reason it wasn't so is because we tried. not take. Yeah, we and, tried hard. And I, it was so hard and... Well, you saw how convincing my final take was. <laughs> and mine. Yeah. We, that we mine was that it... invented what it could be about. Yeah, exactly. Yours was like, what if this is about nuclear weapons? But it wasn't. And mine was, what if this what was if, a metaphor? What if they were but trying to do a thing and they just tripped and broke their dicks? <laughs> and that's why it's so hard for us to tell. But what if we pretend they were trying to do something? So, again, yeah. totally possible. He gives it a two for execution. He says he's unclear on what the stakes are or why we care. Well, both universes could have been destroyed. Yeah, that's sort of the biggest stakes. He says that never seems like a real danger, but like, I don't know. I don't feel like that's true. That's not my problem with this episode at all. Yeah, well, and there's a lot of shots of uh, just um, like a star chart kind of fading over everybody while they all shake around and hold their heads. Like, what is he that does... image of, there's, like, the horsehead nebula that pops up every time? Like, what's going on there? Yes, it's some something like that. I think he says it's the Triffid Nebula oh. later on. Oh, he actually said it? Uh, ben says it. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, I didn't see that. Um, He points out, and I, I didn't even bring this up because this episode's so garbage, that Lazarus's beard keeps appearing and disappearing. There is one scene where I thought he had shaved, and then they did a close-up, and I'm like, oh, it's just they did his beard wrong this time, and it's hella light and wispy. <laughs> yep. It dog, it's so hella wispy a spider covets. <laughs> yep. And it, yeah, no, it's one more thing they did real bad. Why in the, why is the negative universe suddenly a soundstage when they could have shot it at, at the exact same place at Vasquez Rocks? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Do you just have a lot of questions about why the episode was bad? Because we could just, yeah. we could just, we could just move on to the next section. 
I do. Okay. Uh, so anyway, Ben's with us. He has a t- has a two through the through the top half. Um. So that's a not good. All right, but let me tell you about world building because there's yeah because the, they did some yeah okay so um he talks about the cartographic section so that's cool that that exists um makes it, sense yep it's starbase two hundred um. Without full crystal power, which sounds like something from He-Man, that's true. Their <laughs> that's orbit will decay within ten hours. So they need those crystals even just to stay up in the orbit. This ship um, has a ba- has a problem with orbits. I don't know why it decays too fast. I I have a suspicion. Well, we we know why. It's because people don't know anything about anything. Yep. <laughs> it's because whoever wrote this didn't look anything up or do anything. But in Does order for people their orbit who to decay the, that quickly, they must be like mad low down they must be real low down so that they're basically uh hitting the atmosphere every time around whoever wrote this all uh same kind of people who wrote the twilight zone who will just say things like in another galaxy a hundred billion miles away and then you go well that gets you i guess that gets you like to pluto but yep uh, exactly you're like not really Oh, that's um. That's not. Well, gonna, that's still in the solar system, that's buddy. Really, not going to get you that far. But that's <laughs> by the way an improvement. That's like season four Twilight Zone. Like season one right. Twilight Zone was like an <laughs> alien planet, of thousands away. of miles into space. And you're like, well, <laughs> I mean, you didn't specify how many thousands, so maybe, but that doesn't. But seem I like guess the right, it's going to have to be a lot. That doesn't seem like a the right lot number. of thousands, like a crazy amount. <laughs> um. Yes. So this ship often has uh, uh orbit decay issues. Um, yeah. Code factor one invasion status. That's correct. I don't know why code needs a factor. Just be, could you just call it code one? I don't know. I mean, you could have. Um, they did not. Uh, oh, I don't even know what to say about this antimatter universe or anti universes, time travel, yep. etc. Mm-hmm. Sci-fi concepts. Uh, I yep. give it three. All right. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, you hit basically everything that I had. Um, I wrote down standard general alert. Hmm. I think he calls that before he calls Code Factor 1. Yeah, Code Factor 1, I think, is called into him Yeah, by Starfleet. Um, I, I thought it was worth a four. Okay. I mean, I wanted to... There's, so there's stuff here about how they how the Federation is deploying its ships in response to this. Mm-hmm. Bogus invasion threat. I wanted to give it more points for the grand sci-fi concepts, but they were so baffling and they're, stupid. They're they extremely almost, nonsensical is the trouble. If I took them into account, they'd have to be as negative points, I think. I mean, is this the point Is this the point where I should say this, that this is not how antimatter works? Don't worry about it. Okay. They weren't. They weren't worried about it. I mean, they're like, well, this dude's entirely made out of antimatter, but as long as he doesn't run into anti-Lazarus... No problems. Everything's <laughs> everything's crescent fresh. He can stand on this matter planet, and he can go in this matter spaceship, or he can go on our matter sick bay. But like he wouldn't have just turned into a a cloud of rapidly expanding plasma the second his feet touched the ground, <laughs> or his skin touched the air. All right, what about our characterization on this uh, feast fest? I had it at a three. Okay. Uh. I do. I did like that Spock is a real burn artist. You, I also when he is uh, asking Lazarus why he's mad because he is just all he's doing is uh, advancing the proposition that he is a liar. He deduces that shit to his face. Yeah, right, right to his face, and just looks right at him. It's very good. (laughs) Uh, So I did like that. 
Um, McCoy's give a fuck is badly broken. It's, I don't know what happened to him. He lost his entire mojo. It's gone. He's, he's just like, oh, don't worry. I'm not going to let him out of sick bay again. And then he just wanders off and the guy leaves sick bay. <laughs> it's so wild. Like, it is as if we've never seen McCoy before and we're going to be like, this doctor is incompetent. He is uh, a little too, too chill. I think he's been enjoying those mint juleps. He like, I think what it is is, do you remember... When Khan had that scalpel at his throat, was it Khan? Might have been. Who scalpel? Who put that scalpel to his throat? And he's like, "Well, if you're gonna kill me, you're gonna want to do it over here." <laughs> yes, yes. I think he got a rush from that, and he is constantly trying to recreate that whenever they have a weird alien in there by like sort of leaving him alone Fucking with the sharp medical instruments all around because that's the only way he can get hard now. That could be it. He's always chasing that high of yeah physical danger. Uh, anyway, he sucks on ice in this one and then disappears halfway through. Yeah. Like, basically, after the last time he lets uh, Lazarus escape, his story is just done. What about Kirk unit? Did you have any thoughts on him? Uh, Kirk just does what he's told in this episode. He has no agency. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, he gets to wrestle. <laughs> he loves that. That's his favorite thing. He's so always ready with a wrestling or a judo chop. Yeah, that's good. I mean, he does wrestle the guy at the end. For, like, too long, though? That wrestling scene is too long? Yep. He should just throw him into the goddamn thing. Like, there's no stakes on will or won't Kirk be able to wrestle him into that thing. That dude has fallen off of mountains five times in this episode. (laughs) He should be mad weak. It's it's nonsensical. Yep. And, uh, no Scotty. No Sulu. Uhura, I think, is in the background, but doesn't say anything. Uh, she says, Code Factor 1, and then Kirk oh, says, says repeat. And then she says, Code Factor 1. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder if we'll ever see that lady engineer again. Sometimes these people show up again. Yeah, they gave her, like, a, a lady friend, a blue uniform friend. Am I right about this? In um, In the mess hall, when Lazarus is hanging out down there? Oh yeah, maybe and that lady didn't say anything, but they made them walk in together, and I th- they were. I think the camera work was really accentuating the legs on these ladies, well, because it was a creeper time. It's the only thing that the cameramen of this show care about. Again, the best part of uh, Mud's women. There's <laughs> a the very work. loving butt shot yeah. <laughs> in in a corridor, and everything else is phoned in. Um, I thought that what they were doing was they were going to make Lazarus try to get try to get his stuff wet. <laughs> His but dick he, wet, but yeah. he um, but he was more no. interested in the crystals. No, he was just sitting there, I guess, listening for some hot goss, and mm. then he heard about the dilithium crystals, it and worked he was out. like, "All right, I'm just going to walk past all of these people, none of whom are going to ask who I am." He got what he wanted. What man. I'm doing in the officer's mess. <laughs> um, I gave it a four on characterization. Yeah, okay. Um, I gave Kirk and McCoy slight demerits, and Spock. Uh, I gave him some credits. Um. Kirk is very demanding as captain. He shouts a lot of people who are just trying to do their jobs. I guess that's what they've all come to expect. That's how he runs his ship. Yeah, that's true. Um, And then I have damn Spock. He fucking deduced that this dude is a liar and told it to his face. Yep. So he gets a point for that. Again, um, that's that's the only good part of the characterization of this episode as far as I'm concerned. And you're right. He goes in and he's like, well, where is he now? And McCoy goes, it's a big ship, Jim. <laughs> and you're like, wait, what? 
queer. Hold on, what? That's your answer? I don't know. I guess because he's friends with the captain, he feels like he can just get away with that shit. Because Kirk will yell at everybody, but he doesn't yell at him right there. Can you fucking be a pal for a second? It's like, who the fuck knows, man? Couldn't tell you. I mean, there's a lot of questions I don't know the answers to. You, you just come on, Jim. Um, so it's four is what I had of that for characterization. Below average. So in the back half, I give this episode seven points. Mm. You give this episode seven points. Hey! Let's check right back in with Ben. He gave it a total of five points in the back half. Ooh, okay. So you give it three for world building. Um... I guess uh, dilithium crystals can be used to find and isolate tears in the universe. Mm. That is, I guess that's true. Yeah. Also, that they're a trapezoidal shaped brick. It, certainly in they're the form that they are used am- on Enterprise. Amber colored Lexan, which is interesting. Mm. Uh, he thinks maybe matter antimatter canceling was a pretty new concept, but they got it so bad. I mean, they did it so wrong. Yeah. It's the opposite of science. So even if they were introducing a new idea, they set understanding of it back quite uh, a bit. It's one of those things Star Trek does all the time. Like, uh, how come in the episode where Roe and Jordy can pass through the walls, they don't pass through they the floors? They don't pass through the floors. Eh, it's yeah. just, you know. How, they're affected by gravity, but I don't know. Yeah, anyway. exactly. Exactly. Exactly! Uh, yes! I guess that one doesn't bother me that much. If the If the gravitation comes from plates in the decks then they would just be pulled to that point anyway. Assuming that they're still they're still affected by gravity. Well, they are. We don't I know don't that know there's any reason are. that they shouldn't be affected by gravity. <laughs> I mean, they just, we know they are. That's what matters. They're out of phase with other matter, but that doesn't mean that gravity doesn't affect them. Right. The real problem is, how do they breathe all of that Enterprise oxygen? Yeah, how does any of this work is the question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, uh, he gave it a didn't two mean to get into that season five episode. That was that was bad of me. We'll we'll have plenty of time to talk about that wild nonsense. Mm. Uh, two for characterization. He says Kirk and Spock are in it, but they just keep doing what they're doing. They don't really move the plot along by themselves. It's all just following around the weirdo. True, that's a hundred percent true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, while I do some math. Oh, okay. Give me them quick hitters. You know that most of mine were definitely in the long synopsis. The math should be quick. Um, all right. So I, I was uh, horrified by the graphics when the uh, t- when the event happened in the first scene of just the nebula sort of f- fading into the shot. Um, I didn't feel good about the parade of red shirts that went down to that planet, but I guess they all made it. So. Yep. Nothing happened to them. But there's literally they were just walking in a line down there, and I was like, oh no. It's like there was someone who said, even though nothing about this episode makes sense, Kirk and Spock can't just go down there alone. Like, they take people with them. Yep. Uh, Ah, the stark beauty of Southern California. Yep. Every time. Uh, This is the third trip to Vasquez Rocks now. We already talked about the dude with his straight-up Jetson-style space pod. Um, (laughs) For sure. (laughs) And then I have, how was this weird gravity event or whatever they because he was talking about how gravity went to zero or whatever uh how was that a prelude to invasion how would that even work i just don't i don't get it at all um this is some trippy special effects nonsense but where did the episode go how many times did they make this clown shout kill before they yelled cut uh it's a good question that's five in the episode because (laughs) i definitely wrote as one of my quick hitters kill kill Kill, kill, kill. <laughs> and they cut it off pretty quick after that fifth one. I think he probably just kept going. 
<laughs> they wanted to make sure they had enough. Um, and then I stopped writing quick hitters because this episode was so tiresome. Yep. Yeah. So probably the fewest quick hitters I've ever had on a TOS. Uh, the life form reading they get appears almost to the second that the cosmic winking out occurs. Yeah. Spock, you can't be more precise than that. Was it like almost, was it like within a second before or within a second after? If they were at the same time, you can do better than almost to the second. Yeah. Agreed. Um, I guess when they said the planet was devoid of life, they didn't mean trees. Because there's trees down there for sure. Because it's, there's stuff down there. Right. Communications blackout can only be a prelude to invasion. The guy's name is Lazarus, of course. <laughs> so bad. What does it mean to have the healing powers of a dinosaur? Oh my god, was that a line that was spoken? Yeah. Yeah. When McCoy calls us, uh, Kirk down to talk about that old disappearing wound, uh. he does it in like a stupid coy roundabout way where he's like, take it for granted that the guy, ha- the man has the healing powers of a dinosaur, etc. And then he's like, what? now what would make that wound disappear? Question mark. I just didn't understand what that metaphor means. Uh, I googled... It's bad dialogue either way. I googled the healing powers of a dinosaur. And, and the only result was a transcript of the alternative <laughs> factor? I'm What I'm finding is articles... That say, apparently, dinosaurs had an amazing power to heal broken bones. Which is not what this guy had. But that is a thing that science has decided about dinosaurs. Huh. Ryan McCoy knew all that. There's an article called Dino Heal Thyself. Which is not a great... That's that's, not good. That's not great. (laughs) Anyway, I had to look that up. Because I couldn't believe that was a thing. But McCoy knew. Dog, they got some stunt doubles in here just to walk across some rocks. Did you see that? Mm-hmm. There was one scene where they clambered up a rock. I mean, they just jumped up onto it. It was only a foot high. Right. Walked across it and jumped back down. Stunt doubles. Yeah, in the early days, uh, they didn't use a lot of the stunt doubles, which I always appreciated. But certainly in the last, uh, I don't know, 10, 10 episodes or so, we've seen a lot more. Yeah. Oh, especially the wild kind. That are clearly a different person, a different character, even to the point where I wonder who else came into the room. Sometimes, Kirk says, pain can drive a man harder than pleasure, Doctor. Surely you know that. Oh my god, I think he does know that. Isn't that what you were talking that. about? Yeah. <laughs> it, all, it all ties together. This is my Riker is now an emotionally broken man theory. <laughs> but it goes... But for this, McCoy. Yeah, this is the TOS version. I like it. We need to have something to track. He's setting up dangerous situations because he is, is seeking a thrill. Okay. Let's track this for next time. And how fortunate that Lazarus' time ship takes a standard Enterprise dilithium crystal. Uh, why is the parallel universe a soundstage? I think that about covers it, Matt. Right. I gave uh, best actor to nobody. Ouch. And worst actor to nobody. They were all equally bad. Yep, they all read the script the same to me. <laughs> uh, did you award an MVP? No, I stopped episode? doing it. I told you last time I wasn't no. doing it anymore because uh, two like two weeks in a row I was struggling real hard to give it to anybody. So yeah. I just went, "Fuck it, that's it. No one's MVP uh, anymore." Let me just take a quick look and see if Ben had any quick hitters. <clears throat> He... Why is Lazarus able to roam the ship freely? Yeah, they don't seem to care. He about agreed that. with you that the best actor was none and the worst actor was all. Yeah. So. 
So I give it nine. You gave it nine. Oh boy. That's a score of 18. That's now, a very low score. It's not the lowest score we've ever issued. Of course not. It is the lowest score we've ever issued to the original series. I feel fine about it. That seemed deserving. Yeah. And when I was hunting around for takes, right. I read the Memory Alpha article on it, learned that John Barrymore just didn't show up to play the role of Lazarus, so they cast this guy because he was, like, in town. Well, he was awesome. He Well, he did fine. I don't feel like any of this was his fault. <laughs> no. That is actually why that uh, the alternate universe is on a sound soundstage, is because they were already done shooting on location when they realized they needed that, because everything was done kind of rushed. Yeah. But apparently they, it was easier to put him on a soundstage that kind of looked like Vasquez Rocks than just to drive back there. And that doesn't make any sense to me, but that's fine. Yeah, yeah. I'm not in Hollywood. I feel like they could have driven back. Uh, I discovered that uh, the German guy of the famous The German Guy's website, uh-huh. Ex Astra Scientia, uh, has this as the all-time worst Star Trek episode. He gave it 0 out of 10. It's, um, again, his rubric is not as uh, granular and precise as ours, but 0 out of 10 is sort of fitting. No, and he and I disagree strongly on another episode this week oh. that I looked up, so I'll talk about that later. So it's not that we always are in agreement, but... Uh, I don't think anybody thinks this is a good episode. By the way, it looks like the previous worst TOS was the Shore Leave, which got 23. Which is bad, but this was five points worse. Yeah. <clears throat> but we never have to talk about this fucking episode again. Right. Because we watched four others this week, uh, including Where Silence Has Lease. <laughs> This episode opens with Picard being kind of a mother hen on the bridge. He's real worried about the uh, the play date between Worf and Riker on the holodeck. Uh, but he doesn't know who he's more worried about or whatever. Um, anyway, Riker's hanging out with Worf on the holodeck doing one of his calisthenics programs, which involves uh, cutting up some Skeletor monsters and other weird shit. Uh, and we get to see Worf do some fucking moves on some dude and pick up a real dumb gauntlet. And, uh, after he dispatches the monsters, he t- he turns toward Riker like he's gonna, like he's gonna cut into him. And Riker has to use his commander voice, which he doesn't like to do. That's Worf, not his style. Worf made him do that. Probably he likes to be day. more buddy-buddy. Yeah. And Worf wakes up and then they, uh, they head off to the, <clears throat> to the bridge. Where they find, the whole crew finds a weird old hole in space. Space hole. And, uh, you know, they're going to study space hole. And they do do some different techniques studying space hole. (laughs) But then space hole eats them up. Just gobbles them. (laughs) And while they're in space hole, they're trying to fly out, flying around space hole. They can't get out of space hole. And eventually, uh, they see... A Romulan warbird fucking snores out of nowhere and uh, shoots at him and they blow it up. But that seems too easy. It must be some kind of illusion. And then here comes the Yamato, their sister ship. It's in the space hole, too. So Worf and Riker, because this is... They set it up like it's going to be their buddy episode, but then after this, that's abandoned. Um, They go over to Yamato and they explore Yamato. uh, But it's, it's all weird and... Mixed around, like that Voyager episode where all the corridors got all... Is that twisted? It's twisted, yeah. Alright, like that like that Voyager episode. That like I couldn't that, remember but it's more earlier. sensible than that. 
Yeah, it's like, ah, he goes from the bridge into another bridge. And he's like, what the fuck's going on? Worf gets real frustrated. They get back. Riker's real frustrated after they get beamed back over to the Enterprise. Um, Turns out this is all just some yet another omnipotent space being or whatever, or super powerful space being. This guy's name is Nagilam, and he's straight up doing lab experiments on them. He's just running them through some shit to see how they respond. And then he declares to them that his next great stunt, his next great experiment, is going to be to just kill them in every imaginable way. He says there's like 300-something different ways of dying. I wonder how he arrived at that number. But It's a very good question, since he didn't even know what death was 10 seconds ago. Yeah, he has just discovered what death is, and he has already determined that there are over 300. Maybe he got that out of the Enterprise computer. Who knows? Um... No, but then he wouldn't need to... It doesn't matter. Yep, uh, he's going to run them through it. He's going to kill them in all the different ways. He thinks it, it'll take a third of their crew, maybe as many as half. Um, so, you know, that's what's next. And then, uh, so Picard decides he ain't down with that shit. He's going to self-destruct. He's going to kill the whole ship rather yep. than kill a third of it. Uh, a real good decision nobody ever questions. Yeah, and then uh, we'll definitely, definitely get into all this. Uh, Nagilam tries to talk him out of it by pretending to be Troy and Data, but, you know, because it's bad writing, he gives himself away very easily. And uh, then they go up there and it's like, oh, they're counting down. This ship's definitely going to blow up. A card's not bluffing. We're down to a few seconds. And then Nagilam frees them and s- sends them back out of space hole. And then they um, they cancel the self-destruct, and then he has one last chat with Nagilam where they're like, Haha, you, you and I got a lot in common. It's, called, it's a so, little thing called curiosity, and so, you know. See you on the flip-flop, and then the episode ends. Yeah. What was it? What was, what was it? Space Hole, Are the you, adventure. What was this episode? You ready for my super advanced take? <laughs> yeah, tell me about my Space Hole. My mind-blowing Hulk. super advanced take on this one? Yeah. Here it comes. Okay. What is life? No, no! And what is death? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, what's that? So, you know, it's like... Oh, what's that worth? That's a a two-point take. First of all, it's a question. Yeah, questions aren't great. It is the kind of question that you do sort of need science fiction to... This to discuss really because you have to propose some novel kind of life to to really question the definition of life. Yeah, like what this like, seems. Very you can't wrong. just be like, "What is life?" And yeah. then you go, "What's well, like bacteria and trees and animals and shit?" <laughs> That's right, like uh, long neck giraffes and all that shit. And we're kind of not sure about viruses, and some people think maybe DNA is alive. Mm. Next, okay. so but this was very this was a very broad. It was super broad question. So, and the only reason that I'm even willing to advance this stupid, stupid idea is because there is a little bit of business earlier where racist ass Dr. Pulaski God. Doesn't, has, doesn't believe that Data's alive or has trouble believing that Data's alive. But in the end, it is in his file. That's so she right. has to accept it. So I must accept it, even though the racism is strong in me. Even though I... I have a fierce desire to tell you to get back to your own planet. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, maybe uh, if they had decided to make that a part of the episode instead of just... Yeah, if they had like, worked it in yeah. in some way. It's kind of like the TOS episode. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. You know what it reminds me of is that shitty Deep Space Nine... 
Twisted. Another one. Sorry, wrong show. No, no, that's a shitty, shitty Voyager. Dramatis Personae. That's mm. the one. Okay. Oh, my no-take. <laughs> yes, another one of the no-takes. That's my no-take. Yeah. Where they're just uh, replaying that weird alien activity because the aliens want to learn about them, but it doesn't make any sense. Right. Um. Yeah, yeah they had a... tried to work it in in that way. I don't know. I don't know. This is kind of um. I'm part of I, while I was doing this, I was wondering if it was because I was out of practice bending over backwards for Star Trek, like I hadn't been just debasing myself the way I I had been for like more than a year. Because uh, I also had a one on this take, and I'm wondering if I well, first knew... of all, I gave it a two. Oh, sorry. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I had a one in addition to the one I gave the last one. Yeah. I... And what was your number one? Your one point take. And I, and I just really, I just why? I wonder if I could do better if I was in better practice of making Maybe. something out of nothing. Um, I had uh, an anti-scientific message about the cruelty of animal experimentation, or who are we to test, judge, maim, or kill animals? That's a one. Because it's so anti-science. Yeah, it's kind of not really what this is about. Uh, well, I would feel I feel like the Exocomp episode is better. Oh, well, it's better in every way, which is not which in is saying, most ways. It's not a good episode. It's a very it's bad episode. At addressing that idea, the as reason I say is... that. Is... Well, which one? No, go ahead. Uh. Shit, I thought there was another one where Data recognized a life form and didn't want to do some shit, but maybe it's just Exocomp. Well, the, there was the life form that we saw in the... Um, Ugly bags of mostly yeah, water? but I don't know how much... I mean, Data went... Where the, the guy got sent to the laser room <laughs> to get murdered? Anyway, all I'm saying is many times throughout the episode, they talk about how they are just um, like animals in a lab and no one cares about the animal or something. Yeah. And um, I, th- uh, since I couldn't find a real good sci-fi take, I figure what they were saying was uh, these kinds of experiments that we put animals through. They're not. Uh... We're just like we're just like naughty old Nagilam out there. Yeah, we are. Who's Nagilam. not actually malevolent at all in this? Yep, he's like a weird other kind of thing. Yep, he's not mean about it. Uh, let's move on to execution. Well, before we do that, okay. let's consider. Uh, Ben's take because oh. both of us really limp wristed this take. <laughs> so here's what Ben thinks this episode is about uh, free choice is of ultimate value, even more than that of life. Oh, that's a, that is better than my take. That's better so, than my take because Picard demonstrates that. I mean, he, he does, unless, as the tag on the episode suggests, the whole thing was a bluff. Well, was it a bluff, or did he? They were out of space holes, so he. Well, he Riker didn't... and. Uh, yeah, yeah, Riker somebody says. Um, I can't don't know decide. If, yeah, I don't know at if the he, end. I don't know if he was bluffing, but it's like I know. I have a pretty good feeling. You know. Yeah, no. He he went to his quarters to listen to classical music. No, sorry, piano jazz. He went to his quarters to uh, listen to piano jazz. He was, wasn't bluffing. It was Settee, dude. He went, oh, to was go, it? he went to go listen to Settee, and it was over, dog. That was it. He decided, he t- picked a Frenchman, and he was going out, and that was it. <laughs> so, I don't, th- it's not that I think he was bluffing. It's, I mean, it's not, he, he meant to do it if he couldn't get out, but then once he was out, it was like, you know. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, execution. So, anyway, Ben thinks that's a five, by the way. Oh. That... 
freedom is more important than life. That's a better take than I gave. It is a better take. <clears throat> I just don't know if it's compelling enough to change my take. No, I'm sticking with my take. Okay. Uh, execution wise, my man, how how did they do? So this was how did they do? Like just another um, really tired put humanity on trial episode. Except this time it wasn't like a wasn't a trial. It was a lab experiment. But as always, Nagilim revealed himself uh, supposedly the hyper advanced and omnipotent being. A uh, total dimwit that makes irrational choices and is easily fooled. Yeah, that's right. Uh, between TOS and TNG, I think this plot accounts for like a fifth of all episodes. Yes, there is a very powerful entity, but it's no smarter than our cast. That's correct. It will eventually prove itself to be quite stupid. Um, sonically, this was a TOS episode, which I'd hope we were going to get away from in, in season two. Oh, we're not done yet. This episode opens. Jesus. Opens with some suspenseful music that it is then revealed to be... So, okay, well, we'll get into it. But Look, yeah. TOS wasn't trying to be campy. It, it existed in a particular moment in time. Why is TNG's goal to be campy? Yeah, it's a nah, good question. Uh, anyway, because I think... What season the... is up the long ladder? Because we'll be asking that question again. <laughs> that is this season, dog. Uh, okay. This season two. Cause Still a ways to go, though. It's week 43. I think I had celebrated in the child that the music seemed like it had like they were trying to make a departure but then that we were just right back in it on this one yeah uh overall i gave it uh, a two in execution that's not a good score it's not but it wasn't a good episode look that's true i i, I gave it a four. Oh, so uh you know, there's talk about how we face death and the afterlife, etc. We learned that they consider data alive. Yeah, this is sort of a creepy reimagining of Farpoint, the last outpost, and like six or seven other episodes. Mm. Like of the original series, particularly. Right. In general. I think it was because I had just watched The Alternative Factor. And this is not as baffling as that one was. Right. And as badly done. There are some... Yeah, it's not if it's a three. <laughs> well, I was going to say, you don't have to apologize for giving it a four. A four is still a bad score. It's not, It's not though. It's not, it's not, not bad enough. The things I've given a four to <laughs> okay. are better than this, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, the TOS episode was the last one I watched. Um, this one was the second one in my sequence. What a letdown that must have been. It wasn't great, and especially because I already knew you were having such trouble with it. I spent the whole time focusing on what the hell to do on the take. What's going on with this take, yeah. yeah. Uh, world building. Yeah, let's do it. So there's some. Um, there's a checkbox in your service record to indicate whether you are alive. That's good to know. That's good, because then it's not, it's, you got your gen, you got your gender, Right, I think in the future maybe it's more, um, maybe that maybe they remove that box in favor of an "Are you alive?" box. That's probably what it is. Are you legally considered to be alive? Right. Data really dodges a bullet in season two. Yeah, he goes through some shit. Yeah. Um, they have these uh, stationary beacons mm-hmm. they can use to figure out how far away they are from something. That's good. Doesn't seem like it would come in handy a lot, but. Also didn't come in They've handy in this case. 
Yeah, that's true. They've um, they've updated the self-destruct, so now you can set the time. That's good, but they, that actually throws them for a loop. They spend some time going, well, shit. I didn't know it was going to ask us for a time. Goddamn software updates. I don't know how much time. Until Record decides that 20 minutes is a nice round number, but it's like, Doug, what about just half an hour? Well, we'll get into that. To me, too. that's more rounder. I got some questions about that whole thing. That's he knows that that's how long it's going to take him. <laughs> take me five minutes. He's got to. It's going to take him a few minutes to get back there and fire up the harp, ladies, and then. <laughs> and he knows approximately how long it takes him to really just crank one out. So. And the the tire pressure will make him go a little faster. Like, yeah, he, that'll be a little exciting. He's for got. Him. By, he's very practiced. He's got some control. Uh, I actually assume that what this means is someone must have read the reports after the Binar incident. And they were like, oh, yeah, that's not convenient that it's just five minutes no matter what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they pushed the software so, update, but they didn't appear to tell anybody that now you could do that. That feature. Sometimes that's too long, too. Like, you'd think sometimes you'd want less than five minutes. Anyway. Yeah. That's so why I will talk about in this episode, in this particular case, you would want less than five minutes. I don't know why they chose 20. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, I guess if you're doing it as a bluff. Yeah, I guess so. Well, you got to make no. sure that you give this weird entity enough time to figure out what is actually happening. It's just all right. We can get into it now. It's just that if he's an all-powerful being, right? Yeah. Supposedly, he's shown a lot of powers. Why does he? He's need... got. He can definitely make illusions appear that are solid. Right. He got. He figured out that there is such a thing as the Yamato. He killed the he black got that guy, Romulan Warbird, out of nowhere. He made Haskell get fetal and then die trembling. Yeah, so I'm saying, if you're him, just kill him. Can you turn, or just turn off the self-destruct? Right? Well, turn off the self-destruct, or just do your experiment now. Or, alright, your if, ship's blown up, I've got you all in this weird holding area, and when I'm done with my experiments, I'll just make the holding area disappear. Yeah, it's, Tough shit. I, I, just, I couldn't figure out why Picard chose 20 minutes, like, that's not gonna stop him. He could just instantaneously do the experiment, and half your crew's dead. He yeah. doesn't, because writing... But, anyway. <clears throat> uh, the Enterprise has a sister ship called the Yamato. Yes. That's sort of interesting. I have From that. the point of view of how they name these old boys. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, I guess they just went for famous surface ships. Yes. Yes. Although, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, one more seemingly omnipotent space entity. Mm-hmm. And uh, I gave it a three for world building. Oh, a yeah. little... Not a lot. Well, check this shit out. Morgana Quadrant. Hasn't been visited by a manned Starfleet vessel before. This yeah. this space hole here? Space hole is visible on their view screen, but doesn't register in any way on their scanners. That's because it's some kind of a space life form thing, or a life force entity, or who knows. So, Or it could be an antimatter universe. Maybe an antimatter Those universe. also don't show up on scanners we just learned. Uh, Nagilam exists. That's something, right? Okay, um... Picard says that Starfleet can send a science vessel back out to check on this thing, but, like, isn't Enterprise equipped to study stellar phenomena? I mean, isn't this kind of their mission? They have a lot of missions. Or is their mission only having to do with meeting other forms of intelligent life, and if they don't see any there, they just send the Oberths out? I think that that's probably what it is. Like, if there's no need for diplomacy... And if they think, well, someone's going to have to be here for six months doing this, that's when the Oberths come out. Because they even say it, like, you know, in the opening credits, to seek out new life and new civilizations. Is that really yeah, Enterprise's mission? to seek them mission? out. Because 
They spend a lot of time looking at comets and stars. Yeah, well, they're on the way to something. Okay. It's never their goal. Yeah, because he's just like, fuck, send out the fucking Sokovsky or whatever. I don't have time for this shit. Um, <clears throat> yeah, like, they're there to see what needs to be done there. And then they'll send out the people to actually do it. Uh, you talked about the beacon and, and that whole scene. They're very proud of this plan, by the way. Like, yes, the beacon Data proposes it, and everyone's like, fuck yeah, Data. By the way, the exact same thing happened when Wesley proposed send, um, shooting the probe into the into the hole or whatever. Are you kidding me, dog? When Wesley says, if it were a regular hole in space, wouldn't Should we be able to see, see the, the other stars side? behind it? They look at him like he has just fucking cracked the fucking code right the there. The card fucking puts his hand on his shoulder. <laughs> yeah. Like, my boy. <laughs> These guys are very easily impressed in this episode. Uh, yeah, I also have Yamato's The Sister Ship, NCC-1305E. It's a problematic registry because for a number the, of reasons. Because of the later time. Because we will later see the actual Yamato yeah, with a very different registry number in, like, the 70,000s. Like, Nagilum was just guessing and no one called him on it. Also, it suggests that there have been a lot of Yamatos. Mm-hmm. That the first Yamato was commissioned before the first Enterprise. Poss- yeah, it's a 1305. Based yeah. on the registries. And that this is the fifth one. Oh, uh, well, the first one was Space Battleship Yamato. You didn't know oh, that's the probably what it same was, universe. Yeah. So. That's wild. Um, Tritanium is what Federation corridors are made out of, apparently, because that's what Riker... Because this one isn't. Yeah, Riker rules, rules out that it's It's Federation. close, but it's a material More advanced. beyond their technology. Mm, the I wish that they would helpful. say why. <laughs> Tricorder is very helpful. It just spits that out. This is super advanced shit. The, the track order's like, this is some magic shit. <laughs> oh, this shit is magic. Uh, we already talked about the self-destruct stuff. Uh, Picard listens to Seti, Eric Seti, in his quarters while he waits for death. I recognized it when I heard it, and I went, oh, yeah, because he's French. I get it. They won't let us forget. Uh, by the way, I get all that stuff, I only have it as a three because... It's not important. Most of it None was, of it is important. Most of it was questions or me mocking them. Yeah. But um, uh, I guess we we sort of ran over it. I said Ben gave this a five for uh, take. Mm. He gave this a whole seven points for execution. Damn, son. Seven of them. He says Nagilam is the definition of the uncanny valley. So this episode, I guess this is a, a good enough point to say it. There are like three or four things in this episode that seem like they should be jokes. Yeah. But... They're just delivered seriously. Nothing indicates that they're a joke. They don't give you time to laugh. Nagilum says, why do you react this way after I've gone to such pains to make myself look exactly like you? Yeah, and it's, okay, he's and it's like, oh, is he doing a joke? Yeah. Well, no, everyone acts like he wasn't doing a joke. Yep. Yep. <laughs> he says in other episodes they would have announced the auto-destruct to the crew. Yeah, Picard definitely would have made a speech about it. In a good episode. Yeah, it seems like if you're not in the bridge crew, you're just not in the know. Yeah. In this one. How does Nagilam know all the things he shares at the end? Mm. Which things? I don't know. No, 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 either. (laughs) I forgot. He shares his, uh, I guess he shares his thoughts about what he thinks he has learned. Yes, exactly. But... And then Picard comes back and is like, we have one thing in common, curiosity. Yeah, and, they, and, they just kinda, and he's like, I'll meet you out there, but this time among the stars. And it's like, no, dude, Space Hole will eat you. Yeah. And you're going to be right you back where you were. Like, You don't get to call the shots. By the way, is, isn't there now a special task force back at Starfleet? 
trying to come up with a way to combat Space Hole? Like the non-existent one that's trying to come... Oh, I guess we learned in Deep Space Nine that there was one. Or at least they had a briefing on Q. Yeah, there was one for Q, and we know there's one for the Borg. Yeah. Is there a, a fucking team full of hotshots trying to come up with ways to combat Space Hole? Because, uh... I don't... Like, I didn't go anywhere. I mean... I assume he's going to be around a space hole some more people. It just fucking goes on the list of crazy shit. Like, yeah, that's like, what I'm saying. I wonder the how the first Federation decide. and Baylock, and then it's like, uh, oh yeah, stay away from Trelane. That guy's a real piece of shit. <laughs> just, how do you decide who gets the special task force? It's all politics, right? Here Somebody the wants five, to put their nephew here are the on the five team. planets that are quarantined under penalty of death. <laughs> and it's like, uh, yeah. Uh. And then what did what did he uh, what did he do for world building? He gave it a, a four. Uh, he gave it as many as a four. Probes come out of the torpedo tubes. I mean that's true. Yeah. Okay. Good point. I don't know. if Is we've this seen the probes first yet. time we see a red shirt get killed on TNG? No. In uh, Q freezes a guy like in the very first episode. He didn't die though. Does he, he comes later back recover? later on. He takes the station okay. again later in the episode. Uh, well then. Think. Well, I shit. don't remember. Damn, I think, I think we're just out of practice. We'll have to get back into it. I feel the like the guy who's this. piloting Troy's ship, Ben, he, he lives. lives. Yeah, for sure. Um, oh, let me go into the Landrew. So I mean, Land- Tasha Yar gets killed. She's not a red shirt, but yellow shirts are the equivalent of red shirts in this series. That's fair. She is technically the same. Red and yellow switched. Uh, the neutral zone conspiracy. <sighs> Well, I mean, a Picard's going to kill people. a red shirt coming up later. A whole ship full of people get blown up in conspiracy. Just saying. That is true. They butcher Remick pretty good. Gets his whole head gets blown up and everything. Or is it just, just blown up real good. I don't remember. Uh, uh, I don't know. Does anyone die in Heart of Glory? The security officers die. They get shot. I don't know if any of them are killed. Okay. They may have to roll around so that we know they're not dead. Uh, we know some dude gets caught in the laser room in home soil, but he's not Starfleet. It's um, not Starfleet. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, if you're counting non-Starfleet guys, then uh, the guy who catches the poison glove in Code of Honor. <laughs> that poor guy. He's... Is the first, probably the first guy who eats it. You know, that guy was really enthusiastic about that match. He was probably building his whole day around that. Uh, a whole fucking ship full of red shirts gets killed in the naked now. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, they're basically red shirts. We just don't know them before they die. Seems like, but, like mostly people dying on ships, not, not yeah. like Enterprise crew. Wow, that's true. That's a good point. They haven't, they haven't killed too many. All right, Ben's coming in hot with the good points. That's a good point. Um, so, having said all of that, mm. just all of it, Characterization is sort of the last hope for this episode. I'm going to do it up real good here. You ready? All right. Picard spends a lot of time worrying about his crew's leisure activities. Yeah, he really does. He also won't let Data magnify the view screen. He, <laughs> he tells Data to do it, but he reaches over and pushes the buttons himself. Yeah. It does know how to do these things, doesn't it? <laughs> Picard's brilliant plan is to kill 100% of the crew rather than 50%. I know it's a threat he's using against Nagilum, but still, that's a bonkers plan. It's not a good plan. Uh, Worf definitely gets the bloodlust. Yeah. I also think he gets aroused from this skeleton violence. I think so, too. Based on his remark about his programs being too personal to share. Yeah, this is not... 
See, this is, again, this is something that is a joke on paper. Yeah. It's a jokey situation Played delivered serious. perfectly straight. Yeah. Where Riker says it's a very interesting program or whatever, and Worf's like, well, this was fucking level one. I do the, when I do the real shit, it's nasty in here. And uh, uh, it's personal shit to me. And then they're just like, well. I hear you and I respect your choice. That's what and then, then it's it. like, Star Trek The Next Generation is brought to you by Mazda or whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. And you're like, that was it? They just, <laughs> that wasn't a joke? They didn't make it a joke? Okay, so you know why? The reason I like news radio so much is that all of the throwaway lines that most people just deliver as nothing, um, Phil Hartman make funny. He makes them funny. Yes. Even if they're just nothing. They're just total nothing lines. He delivers in a way that makes them funny. Yeah, you're right. In this episode, it was the exact opposite of that. Everything that should have been delivered as a joke was delivered just like, I'm reading off a page. You like this? No, it's like the whole thing, the whole setup in the beginning, where they play suspense music, and Picard's all nervous, and Troy's like, you're worried. And then it's just like, yeah, they're they're in the holodeck together. And it seems like... That's got to be pretty crazy, huh? Yeah, that could have been delivered as a joke, a joke for sure. Right, exactly. Yeah. Does Worf rape the monsters after he beats them up? That's a legitimately I good question. I just don't know what he's so worried about. Um, He's also more superstitious in Season 2. He gets very fucking worried about uh the space monsters that he's heard about. A, a, a nebulous form in space that eats starships. And that's what it does. Um, He gets super petulant on the Yamato's bridge. One Riker, one bridge! Whines like a baby. Uh, and, but he finds 30 to 50% casualties acceptable. So that's what Worf, it's Worf's take. Uh, Pulaski hasn't taken the bridge officer's exam, I guess. Yeah, she, why would she? She's a ship's doctor. She specifically mentions that she's not a bridge officer. Yep. But she is racist as fuck. Again, why did they create this character? She's a real piece of shit. Like, I get it. McCoy and Spock don't see eye to eye on stuff. Yeah. McCoy thinks Spock is too emotionless and cold-blooded, and that's not how you should conduct yourself, and that's not how you get insight into people, and it's not doesn't make for a good leader, etc., etc. Mm. He doesn't think Spock is literally a machine, or that Spock's opinions shouldn't count at all, right. or he doesn't understand why Spock's even there. That's polite. None of that is true. He has a lot of disagreements with Spock about the nature of humanity and what's good about letting your emotion and your instinct be a part of your decision making, etc. And when he calls him a computer and oh my god. Anyway <laughs> they did not replicate that relationship here. No. For one thing, it's a little more fraught because data is literally a machine. <laughs> That's right. He is actually mechanical. Yeah. Um and also data never says anything back. No, data doesn't snap back. Data just takes it. Which, again, I just don't know why... Why do you purposely... Data's create... not like, the Horda thinks my ears are sexy, or... Uh... <laughs> why Why does why does Data... I mean, why why create a character in Pulaski that we're going to have to spend time with every week that we can't do anything but disdain? Yeah, it, you know what, it would, would... Again, I shouldn't... We shouldn't play what would be better, but wouldn't it be great if Data just said, I have filed a complaint. <laughs> That's right. You're making this a hostile work environment. That's right. That would be great. 
I don't know if they do that, though, because I don't think anyone gets disciplined on Enterprise. Um, no, and, and also, Brent Spiner doesn't know how to play this. We'll just see him yell at Christopher Hobson later. Right. He just yells at him. No! Because, because of all of the times he's seen Picard yell at people <laughs> in a command situation, right. right? Where did he learn this? Was it His last commander was Jellico, right? Is that what it was? Is that, <laughs> like, where was Data before he was on the Enterprise? It's hard to say. Um, Not even Jellico. Probably fucking... Probably his last commander was Eric Pressman. Some real piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, that guy does seem kind of. When Jameson was still a starship captain. Baby Jameson. Uh, well, at We're least... selling weapons to both sides, it's cool. At least Pulaski gets to the heart of the episode and comes up with the lab experiment idea. Uh, they all do simultaneously. Uh, it's one of those things, it's like a shared, shared yes. inspiration. They kick it around so that everybody gets a line, but it's terrible. I love Riker just walking exactly 10 inches behind Picard everywhere he goes. Like, yeah, definitely I... close enough to give him a flat tire a few times. <laughs> yep. It is. I'm sure that it's for TV reasons. Yeah, like, he has to block him real close. you got to get him both in that shot. And then Riker's tall also. <laughs> but but he, like... if you watch them when they're standing together, especially in the middle of the bridge, Riker is always uncomfortably close yeah crazy crazy close we've talked about this before like why are they so why are they so close the bridge looks pretty like, big most of the time picard can feel riker's breath on his bald head mm-hmm. just on the top of his bald head <laughs> yeah probably fogs it up that's why he has lifts in his boots <laughs> yeah it isn't even a, va- a vanity he didn't thing. like standing five inches in front of riker that's all the time right, that's right so in there's like six three in this shot that I'm talking about, they're walking around the back end as they go down the ramp. And he's just walking. He's walking so close behind him. And this is not a tight shot. This is a wide shot. So you can see them. And he's just, he's walking like right on top of him. Yep. And it's like, God, dude, just give him some room a little bit. I know you love him, but damn. You can even just stand down there and look up at him. Yeah. You don't have to follow him. He must have thought that was going to be a tight shot. And it was not. Yeah. Um. Again, I'm sure it's just cinematography, but... Try not to see it now. That's right. Uh, Riker also hella fears technology. You can tell by how derisively he says, let's use all this technology and get the hell out of here. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Jordy loves dead Romulans. He's super excited when they blow that Romulan up, and it does not occur to him that that what just happened was impossible. Not only was it impossible, but also, if it were possible, you just killed a lot of people, and it's probably a pretty unfortunate event. And he's oh, we just, just sent like, like what? We just sent like four or five thousand people to their deaths. <laughs> he's real pumped about it, and he's got the meaningless quips about rats. Seriously, what was that about? Like the he rat said, being on the bridge. Like the rat said, it's like, wait, what? Why are you talking? Uh, he's just—it's lonely down there in engineering. He quips, but nobody hears it. That's right, he's off in some one of the little nooks with a station, and there's nobody around. He watches, he just has the view screen mirrored down there in his little nook. Yeah. And he watches people, and he goes, guess who's coming to dinner, or whatever, yeah. and then... No one anyway. hears it. Yeah. Still mouthing off like it's season one. Um, Sending Data hella text messages that appear on his console, like Yankee traders and stuff, <laughs> and then Data's like, okay, we're I'm done work- with that. I'm working, I'm working. I'm working right now. This is this is inappropriate. I'm filing another complaint. The best thing that happened was when you got sent to engineering so I could concentrate on my work. Because I'm Wesley here for the work. almost never pipes up, and if he does, he asks Captain Picard something. And he has a good idea, and we all give him a pat on the back, which we never did for you. And he 
correctly identified that this wasn't a regular hole in space. That's right. By the way, that's a that's a concept that everyone was like, yeah, that's something. <laughs> We're familiar with the wormhole phenomenon. Yeah, he's trying to, literally off the top of his head, trying to name the different kinds of holes he's familiar oh. with. Oh, you're, someone described it as a hole. What kind of holes do I know? <laughs> I better tell everyone. Um, why does Troy require Picard's help for her powers to work? Sorry, she, I know um, this is a third rail question for Star Trek. I just... It is, but, uh, because uh, it's a make-me-up. <laughs> that's why, yes. Picard was like, Counselor, are you sensing anything on a higher level of consciousness? And she's oh, like, yeah, 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 that's it. Yeah, now that you, me- now that you mention now, it. I have, uh, I did, yeah, I did notice that. Yeah, for... Yes, I, and I didn't say anything, but I did notice it. She's looking at him for some more cues, and he's like, maybe... Maybe it's malevolent. She's like, yeah, some bad energy. I'm feeling bad energy coming from this guy. I don't think he's a good guy. Um, and she, she already we're two episodes in. She's already been pregnant mm-hmm. and had like a real weird time of that, and well, now she's, she's useless. The so uh, Maurice Hurley yeah. not only had Gates McFadden fired, uh, but he's uh, he's already. He's already ruining the characters that were surprisingly good in season one. Yeah, I think... Like, he's turned Worf into an, a dumb idiot animal in this one. <laughs> yep. And, uh, and goodbye is... to useful insight from Troy. Yeah, she's been fast-tracked. Or even baseline competence. She's been fast-tracked to irrelevance. But don't worry. Pretty soon she'll be doing uh, leotard exercises with Crusher again and talking about their sex life. And God. otherwise, sort of not present. <coughs> Let's go on to something that I love talking about, and that's Data. Okay. I felt like docking a point just for Data's dumb smile at the end. Uh-huh. What was that? What was it? Brent uh, Spiner and crew? It's just Spiner. It's just Spiner being Spiner, and then some editor going, yeah. I'm into it. That's a touching moment. Yeah. Uh, overall, a lot of work was done, but most of it was bad. Worf, in particular, was worthless in this one. So I gave it a two in characterization. Yeah. So yeah, I, I have it as given... much as a three. Okay, so I yeah, we have not given it a ton of points here. So here's here's where I am. Uh, we get some science philosophy out of data mm. when he says that the very basic answer, the, the starting point for all science is I do not know, etc. Right. Um, we get some philosophy about. Life and death from Picard. As usual for Star Trek, it's a little bit wishy-washy. Like, maybe there is maybe there is an afterlife. Picard believes that this is some one-dimensional aspect of what it is to be alive. Right. Etc. Um, but I just... I miss Worf from last season so much. I miss him helping Wesley with his psych test. Telling him that the greatest enemy is within. Yeah, all the good stuff when he was just decent. Worf was so good in the second half of last season. Mm-hmm. And now he's got crazy bloodlust and he's in danger of killing Riker. He's hella frustrated by some doors that don't do what he wants them to do. Yeah, he's he's on one in this episode. It's bad. Yeah. And I also did not like Wesley's uh, Picard's super condescending pat on Wesley's shoulder. 
Well, I don't like it when he touches him ever. No, it's not right. Yeah. Speaking of a hostile workplace. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I had it at a three for characterization. Uh, it's another area, though, where uh, uh, Ben thought a little more highly of this episode than us because he gave it seven. What the hell? In the teaser, we see Worf going all Klingon, which is cool, so I strongly disagree. Disagree, yeah, disagree right. Uh, there's, he says that this is going to help cement his suitability for his new role as security chief by showing that he can't be cool, even for a minute. <laughs> yes, that in any situation, he is probably going to blow it. Uh, he likes Worf's new Baldrick. I agree. I'm not sure I like it better than the all gold one, which was from TOS. Yeah, I like it better. It's the one that I'm familiar with. It's it's my favorite one. It looks like the links in a watch bracelet is the only trouble. It very much does, but all of Klingon uniforms in TNG look kind of stupidly metallic in that way. Yeah. Uh Yeah, Pulaski sucks, he says. Uh Picard's though... idea of death is very meta. It's one of these funny funny things here where Ben says a lot of stuff that sounds like a criticism and then gives it seven points. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He didn't. He didn't. The only thing he really liked was that Worf was really Klingon-y. He says it's the second time O'Brien has a speaking part. I don't remember O'Brien being it. Oh, I guess he beams him over. Yes. He does say a few things. Yeah, he's in there. Then I was excited. I was hoping we were going to get to see some cool, uh, uh, nice guy smiley, but uh, it didn't happen. He just kind of said a line and then went away. Um, ben also gives a couple of quick hitters. He says the spiky glove in the holodeck intro appears to be a real prop because Worf takes it with him off the holodeck. Right. That's certainly intentional. And also that the dead guy's nose flares before the commercial cut. I guess he probably means Haskell. He's in pretty close up there. Uh, yeah, they made that guy stay there in a prone position for a long time. Yeah. Uh, I have some <clears throat> thoughts too. All right. It may not surprise you. Uh, immediate suspense music to to start this episode. And then they play a lot of Klingon themes in the holodeck. So, like you, I thought the music was yes, we out did, of character. We did not escape uh, the TOS uh, music of season one. I thought that uh, Frakes' double in the holodeck fight scene was better than average. It's usually okay. a, a weakness for this show. They don't do good Frakes doubles. I thought his was pretty decent. My comment on this was <clears throat> the guy they chose as the double was in way better shape than Riker. That was the main distinguishing characteristic. He it's like when we saw real... Chakotay's naked ass and the guy was <laughs> like, didn't look like Chakotay. Yeah. This Riker body double didn't look that bad in the face area, but looks like the beefiest Riker. They're, they're going to make up for it, though, in, uh, in the episode of Matter of Perspective. There's a real fat Riker stunt double. Yes, yes, there is. Um, I don't think that Skeletor understands fighting because he's menacing Worf with the only dull part of that axe. I, I can't. I couldn't tell. I thought maybe that part was sharpened up there just for situations like that. But that hook did not appear. It appeared that that part was completely flat. Okay. Um, let's see. I guess that the uh, scientific consensus on whether or not people really believe that the world was flat has advanced since 1988, because it's like the number one asshole thing for someone to say to you now is that, you know, people didn't really think the Earth was flat. Right. Whereas uh, it was a, a lecture they used to, or an entire course they used to give at uh, Starfleet Academy on ancient history. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. Yeah. 
when the world was flat. <clears throat> I thought the show... in that case, Riker was just talking shit about Kyrie Irving. Yes. Like, they, is he they, a Cavs um... fan and he's bitter or something? They try to do a cinematography where you're looking at Picard past Riker's leg and then his hand drops down and he fidgets a little to show he's nervous. Mm. Um, but I was a little taken out of it because Riker's thumbnails are a little too long and didn't look quite clean enough and I didn't like it. So I was a little bit yucked by that. Another thing that you never would have had to worry about in 1988 or whenever this thing aired. 1987, whatever it was. There was no way you would have had high enough def to be able to yeah, tell. Yeah, it definitely would not have read on the screen. Yeah. Like you would have just been... Oh, he's he's fidgeting with his hand. They're doing a little like rack focus thing where all of a sudden you pull back and you're looking at his hand. Um, I don't believe that warp two is supposed to be two million times the speed of light. I also don't just, believe that. Just based on the fact that they go a parsec and a half in one minute. Right. At warp two. Yes. So I think that's a mistake. I don't think. I think of all of the technologies, that is the one that they that Star Trek is least consistent with. Uh, what speeds. does warp mean? Yeah. How fast are the warps? Yep. Anyway, a parsec is like three point two six or so light years. Well, that's it's, what you uh, say. I say it's a measure of time. Yeah. You and Han Solo agree, right? Warp uh, should not drop into Klingon intense moments. Yeah. He grew up with human parents, and he was real young when they got a hold of him. Like. He's not dropping into Klingon when he's frustrated. That yeah. doesn't make any sense. That's, yeah, that's not like some um, DNA shit. That's not how language right. works. He should maybe drop into Russian, but I guess they hadn't worked that out yet. Yeah, they didn't know they were going to give him some real fucking what? accent Just, parents. He didn't know they were going to give him some real potato-eating parents. <laughs> yep. Um, why didn't Troy pop up sooner about the vast intelligence? Yes, why? Yeah. Must have really frosted Troy's ass, huh? To have Pulaski called out called out by uh, Nagilam as womanly, as being different from the others, <laughs> which we learned right because there. she's a woman. Yeah. Fucking Troy's right there with her deep neckline. Yeah. What kind of crazy dress do you think she showed up on the bridge in the next day? <laughs> she is. She's very worried about the attention. She's like that. Must have been a real bummer for her. Old lady Pulaski's right there, and Nagilam's like, "What's going on here?" <laughs> she's never. And she's just like, yet. "What." She'll never forget it. She'll constantly be chasing that compliment she didn't get from Nagilam. I'm not saying that that's the only thing Troy's about, but like, why does she dress like that? That is a good question. I mean, I certainly require a certain formality on the bridge. Yeah. I'm just now. I just now realized when I was watching this that Wesley disappears from the bridge without a word because we need Haskell to be killed. Yeah, he had uh, homework to do. Wesley's there in the first half, comes back from the commercial, Haskell's there now, Haskell gets killed, come back from the commercial, Wesley's there. That's good. A good thing for Wesley. He was very lucky, because that could have been him. Picard says, we will fight you, and it's more pathetic than anything <laughs> Ilya Viger says in Star Trek 1. <laughs> it's the, it was the weakest line possible. Yeah, he didn't have It's a conviction. weak line reading... They're completely powerless, but when he says we will fight you, I felt very sad for him <laughs> for having to say that that way. Yeah. Uh, listening to Picard muse about the afterlife makes me think he was probably a real bummer in college. Yeah, I um, like college Picard must have been a downer. I think the German guy appreciated that scene, which I also was not a fan of. I mean, it's the most like acting. 
It is the most like action. It's giving Picard something. It's giving it's Patrick Stewart a little something to chew on. It's true that right? nothing like, else in the episode really approaches acting. Yeah. You it's know. better than him having to pretend he's worried about Riker and Worf's trip to the holodeck. <laughs> I mean, the holodeck is dangerous. And he knows that better than anyone. He's been in there yeah. most of the times it's been dangerous Yeah, so he's far. already been in there for some misadventures. <clears throat> he saw that guy get shot. Did he live? He lived. He lived. That dude, yeah. that old boy lived. Yeah. And then a, a legitimate question that I had to ask, and it made me mad that I had to ask it, that they couldn't, I couldn't be sure one way or the other. Is Nagilam making Troy and Data say Jean-Luc because he wants to give the game away? Like, is he testing Picard here? Well, there's no good reason he would do it. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's why. There's no other reason I can think of, except that the villains always reveal themselves to be stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just straight up, they straight up both call him Jean-Luc. Like, very obviously. Uh, Let me just look back at my long synopsis and see if there's anything else I wanted in there. Oh, that's right, because you prepare the... uh... Yeah. I just... uh, I just wing it. Just wing it. Uh, I was glad that um, that Romulan ship showed up and attacked so that we were spared some kind of uh, bridge discussion with all the people there about non-Euclidean geometry <laughs> when they're like they're going straight away from the beacon and all of a sudden it's in front of them. Yeah. I, I was super glad that we didn't have to have data do a real bad explanation of alternate forms of uh, of geometry on the bridge. So the Romulans did save us from that. The fake Romulans. Yeah. Um, hey, why don't um, you go ahead and give us some uh, quick hitters of your own? I was uh, I was watching them on the holodeck, Riker and Worf, and it made me wonder: you suppose Dynasty Warriors three hundred twenty one on the holodeck is any good, or is it just like another retread? That's a good question. I think that the main complaints would be that you ride your horse everywhere all the time. Yeah, you're always trying to And the guy the keeps saying, I am Cowpea. <laughs> I am Cowpea. <laughs> that gauntlet that Worf picks up looks real shitty. Like, is that the one he wants? Or is this like a, a PUBG situation where you pick up what you can and, and move on? Well, he gives an appreciative growl when he picks it up. Yeah, see, I would like, not have done that. It looks real cheap. But you're probably shady. right. He's probably he probably would be shouting at Rush Frustric, Fresh Frustric that they can't leave yet because he he only has a shotgun. <laughs> That's right. He's like, I only got this gauntlet. Hold on. Uh, and I have the Riker stunt double was pretty fucking muscly. Um, Wesley asks a hella elementary question and gets a lot of kudos. Yeah, they're into it. Yeah. They're like, that's why we keep this guy around. Worf, dumb as hell, new season two Worf. Why do you want to shoot torpedoes at this hole? It's a very good question. What does he expect any of that to do? Whoa. When when he says uh, that they should uh, that they, they should put the shields up and Picard says, why? <laughs> that's right. And Worf just goes, Worf should stutters. slink off the bridge, right? <laughs> I mean, the kind of almost make him do that. He kind of just stutters and stammers and is like, oh, Sorry, I, uh... Then a minute later, he has to explain to him that he thinks a fucking space goat <laughs> is going to eat the ship. Uh, and then I have Wise Riker talking about it. Kyrie Irving. Um, Riker somehow instantly knows the decloaking vessel is Romulan. Like, they know yep. Klingons have that tech, too, right? Yeah, and once two races have it... Like, others could have it. Right, we've learned this from civilization, right? Like, once a second... If you have that world wonder... 
once two civilizations have great the library. Yeah. So whoever has the great library, they're going to get that cloaking device. I mean, unless they the have cloaking technology. I mean, if the Romulans built the great library, then maybe not. That's a good point. Yeah. <clears throat> um. Man, I knew racist-ass Star Trek was going to kill that black guy as soon as he spoke some lines. Yeah. Also, I remembered his death scene from having seen this episode many times before. Yeah, that too. Uh, The title of this episode is from a Robert Service poem about gold rushing in the Yukon. I was hoping it would help me understand the episode better, but it did not. (laughs) It seemed completely unrelated. (laughs) Someone remembered that, that line from that poem, and they're like... Well, this is like a fucking hole in space. <laughs> Somebody just straight up went, Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Um, why does Nagilam suck at mind reading? It makes no sense. Why does every perfect illusion in TNG become ruined by a silly mistake? I'm looking at you, Barash. My name is Barash. <laughs> to me, you'll always be Jean-Luc. No, dog, I just... Okay, no, I mean... but, you're, but to me, though. To me, no, but I haven't. Just as your, like I understand. I'm your dad now. I'm your adopt, your foster dad. And to no, me, I know I was introduced Jean-Luc. to you as Jean Luc, but my and name I is Barash. I think it's a, a very appropriate name for your face. You look like a Jean Luc to me. So to me, no, I wish you would just use me, my though, name. To me, though, it'll always be the fantasy that we had together, father and son together. We went fishing. No, I I feel like now you're trying to put up a wall between us. Okay, Why won't you, know you what? use I'm my real name? You. I'm just going to leave you on the planet. Do you want to be on the planet alone by yourself? Okay, I'll be Jean Luc. Yeah, you're Jean Luc now. Hey, if Nagilim is so powerful, I already asked this, why can't he just instantly perform his experiment and be done with it? Why does he yeah, need more than question. 15 or 20 minutes or whatever? Uh, he seems to enjoy telling them about it. Riker's uh, very famous wholeheartedly line is in this episode as well. Oh, it sucks. I, I can't believe I didn't bring it up. but it, it So this is the one thing that appears to be a joke in the script and is sort of played as a joke. Yep. Like Picard comments on it. He didn't want there to be any uh, misunderstanding. Misunderstanding. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> hey, dog, the computer knows when you're talking to it and when you're not. It knows cool. everything. Yeah, the computer's You're cool. Something. You don't need to do that shit. The computer is way better at communicating than, say, data. So Yeah, or Alexa, for instance. Don't make me say it. I don't, say what? I don't like when it turns on. Don't make you say what? Nothing. Nothing. Okay. Earlier I said a similar thing and it came on. Um, what was the math on this? I can't, it was not good, right? Yeah, the math on this was a little bit of a disappointment. So I initially had 12 and talked myself down to 11. Okay. Couldn't understand how I gave it a 4 for uh, execution. Right. You gave it as many as 8 points. Oh, no. Okay. Uh, So in total, that's 19. So most weeks, this is the worst episode of the week. This week, (laughs) however... There's a TOS episode. And guess what? There's three more. (laughs) It just edged the alternative factor, and I think we've already revealed we weren't too in love with the the crop of episodes this week, so uh-huh. who knows what lies in the future. Uh, I gave Best Actor to uh, Worf when he's, do- when he's uh, chastising oh. himself. At ease, Lieutenant. At ease. Yeah. That was the only thing that seemed like a person yeah, would say. Yeah, right, exactly. And uh, Worst Actor to Nagilam Data for just really hitting Jean-Luc. <laughs> so it, as if to say data wouldn't say this <laughs> do you hear what i'm saying the thing i'm saying right now Jean yes luke. john luke Ugh. don't i sound natural saying it it was bad uh, uh then award a best or a worst he gave best to Jordy for it's a damn ugly nothing a line mm. which makes no sense yep. and worst to pulaski yeah that makes sense yep. that tracks for, for me and 
this week we um this week we also watched Necessary Evil. We see Quark drinking with uh, Bajoran Femme Fatale, who wants him to retrieve a package on Deep Space Nine, but she can't go there herself because Odo thinks she's a murderer. How much did this opening scene, sorry to jump in immediately, remind you of the episode of Voyager where Tom Paris was doing a matter of perspective? A hundred percent. I expected a dog witness for sure. So there we go. Go on. Sorry. It also reminded me of a matter of perspective. (laughs) Yeah. It reminded me of uh, the game to a lesser extent. Sure. I don't like any episode where we have one main character alone with a sexy lady. Yeah, yes. Oh, by the way, there will be uh Why did you say that? The lady in this scene is the lady who played the lady in the game. Well, I guess I must have recognized Atana <laughs> Jaw, and that's why I said it. Okay. All right. I did I, I did not actually recognize her. That is not in my notes at all. Yeah, she is Atana Jaw for sure. Um yeah, it's just always bad news. Uh, anyway, Odo thinks she's a murderer. Uh, cut to Odo, who is um, starting a new film noir diary style narrative. Yes, he is. With a salty entry about being forced to do this thing. Mm-hmm. So, he's taking a shit on Starfleet Protocol again. Fine. When if he just Quark examined and Rom, it for five seconds, he'd realize no one's ever going to read him, so it doesn't matter. No one, no one just do it and him. shut up, Odo. Quark and Rom are, yeah, for sure Cisco's not going to check up on this. Can you imagine Cisco <laughs> listening to this log later? It's not. It's impossible that it happened. I cannot imagine Cisco doing almost any of his job functions, so. S- some clerk on Starbase 2112 is going to listen to it, think briefly, Odo hates Cisco, I guess, and then <laughs> forget about it forever. Yeah. Uh, Quark and Rom go to break into... Uh, the shop, which is this lady's husband's old shop from the time of the Cardassian occupation. Chemist shop. Mm. Uh, and we discover here that Rom is a master burglar. Yeah. Uh, because he's broken into Quark shit like 50 times. In, in the first episode, or first season, we learned that he couldn't fix a straw if it was bent. If but, it was bent. I guess. Yeah, but they're walking it back. I guess they're walking that one back, yeah. And it, it is true that in this episode, Odo still has that dim view of Rom. But I think this Odo episode, was not there to see this break-in attempt. We will, yeah, we'll get into it. This is like this episode's like the redefining of Rom. If only he had been a glass or like a Klingon chair or something <laughs> in the room and could have seen Rom do this, he wouldn't be so. I mean, he's pretty shitty to Rom for the rest of this episode. Yes, he is. it's as if he think, as if Rom is the sex trafficker. <laughs> yeah, who Rom may be an attempted murderer. Fine. Yeah, who consorts with mercenaries and <laughs> has nearly had the entire station blown up five or six times. Mm-hmm. But no, Rom's dumb and Odo hates that. Anyway. Uh, they get this item. Quark opens it and it turns out it's a handwritten note uh, containing eight Bajoran names. Then an associate of that lady's shows up and shoots Quark with a phaser. Apparently killing him, but of course after the commercial break, Bashir's there trying to save his life. Yeah, he is. Uh, Odo suspects Rom. Odo likes Rom for this crime. I think he just hates Rom and wants to put him away, honestly. But Sisko's there to good cop him into revealing essentially the whole thing that happened. And now Odo has the his first flashback. God, you gotta love that, right? You love flashbacks, right? 
have we had a flashback yet in series? Yes, in the Chicote episode. And I probably said, I don't like flashbacks in Star Trek. <laughs> that would be my guess, yeah. Um, this episode was made before that Chicote episode, so technically this is probably the first... Yeah, but we'll get other flashbacks. ...real flashback. There's like dreamlike sequences of things that happened in the past in that episode with the mind rapist. Mm. Uh, and as I thought about it more and more... It is possible to frame about 90% of the original series as being flashbacks because of Kirk's in-the-present narration right. of his captain's log. Yes. Like, they don't behave like flashbacks in the show. The weird, confusing tense But the odd logs. narration is essentially, does essentially put them as flashbacks in some way. So anyway, you'd be happy to, to learn that despite the fact that I found them off-putting, I didn't actually deduct any points for flashbacks in this one. All right, good job, DS9. Uh, anyway, we see Odo meeting Gul Dukat for the first time. Ooh, I love Gul Dukat. Gul Dukat has called him in to investigate a murder on the station. And Odo doesn't know why, but I, I guess by this point, off screen and even in the past, he's already been established as a character with kind of a hard-on for justice. Well, he says it with his own mouth as many times as he possibly can in this episode, so I'm not surprised he everyone thinks it's, knows it. He thinks it's some kind of weird racial memory. <clears throat> Oh, yeah, he does, doesn't he? Um, but it turns out those are real in Star Trek, so that's fine. <laughs> uh, so he's got this murder to investigate. The wife has a story that her husband was having an affair with some new arrival, and she takes Odo to point out the girl, and it's Kira, and this is the first time that they met. Oh, Odo and Kira meet. Hey, it's a meet-cute. It's, it's, it's kind of a meet-cute. Mm-hmm. Back to the present. Uh... Odo briefly tries to get names out of Rom and then goes to talk to Kira about this whole thing because now we know that it involves her. No real good idea why Odo hadn't talked to Kira previously. Maybe she was taking a shit. I don't know. I'll get into this as well. Yep. But because we now know that Kira was involved, now Odo can talk to Kira about it. And it turns out that this is something that they have not talked about in years. Which is... Anyway. They just have never talked about this thing. Yep, because they read the script is why. <laughs> so that's good. We'll get to see them discussing this for the first time ever. Mm. But not right away because we got to go right back to that flashback. So now Kira is denying having an affair. And she's trying to make Odo question why he's involved in this. It's a fun point, but he doesn't really question it. Just at the end he says, oh, now it makes sense. Right. Eh, whatever. Right. Uh, she's trying to set him up to, to think about that stuff and be on her side, I guess. Yeah. Uh, future. Present. Present, there you go. We never go to the future. Not in this episode. In this episode. When we talk about all good things, we'll talk about the future. Right. And when we talk about future imperfect, we'll talk about the future. And when we talk about all it's good It's not things. the real future, but we'll mostly talk about Barash anyway, so that's fine. When we talk about all good things, we'll talk about um, uh, Patrick Stewart hamming it up. Well, it won't be the. F- we have to get through Sarek to get to all good things, so don't worry. <laughs> and that episode where he plays that other Shakespeare character that we're supposed to not recognize. That's I more think. than I know. More than I care to know. And you're like, um, I see, I see you, <laughs> buddy. I see your face. Odo goes to question uh, this guy's widow. The dude's name was Vatric or something. I don't remember if we know her name. Mm-hmm. Let's say that I don't. Tana Joel. 
Um, and in doing so, he tips off that he's close to one of the names on the list. And the next day, Kira reports that uh, one of these old boys was killed. Yep. So now Odo has got round-the-clock security on Quark, and he's stepping up his investigation. Then we get to see the first time Odo meets Quark. It's very bad. Some bad Quark stuff. It's not a good scene. Yeah. Quark does brag about sexual harassment, but it turns out that he was sort of paid to do that yeah. as an alibi for Kira. Right. Um, so now we question what Kira was up to because she needed an alibi. Again, it doesn't make sense that this is happening in real time because now, now we're questioning her in the present. Yeah. Not anyway, it's kind of a bad device. Uh, in the in the present, Odo's detective work. He does some actual like, he does some real detective work. By the way, I can't he calls and gets you bank write, records you and write shit. This much detail down about the fa- like. All right, so as the episode's going, you're just writing down what's happening with your. Yeah, I jump musings. around. I mostly I write what's happening. I write down world building stuff, any character notes. I'm, obviously, I'm writing my quick hitters too. Okay, I'm all over the place, okay. but this is the only thing I do when I watch these episodes. Okay. Is Two thirds of the screen is Netflix and one third is my notes. Oh, nice. Okay. So, yeah, it's too much. It's too much, right? <laughs> I mean, anyway, I'm just it. It runs into all the other aspects of the rubric. So, anyway, anyway, he pins her. Uh, her accomplice attacks Quark and gets captured. Um, we go back and forth. So, in the story in the past is, Kira needed an alibi. Oda suspected her. Mm-hmm. She puts him off um, by saying that, well, no. So she gives up that she was sabotaging the station. Yeah, she works with the resistance or whatever. She's a resistance member. She was sabotaging the station. Right. Odo, Ducat shows up and he's like, look, I'm looking to hang a Bajoran. Is this the Bajoran? Yeah, I just need one. Just give me one. I, I don't, the subtext here is that I don't care if it's right or wrong. Yeah. I just, I definitely do need to kill a Bajoran though. Yeah, it's like important that this happens today. And Odo's like, it's not her. All right. Apparently, he it's he, though he believes it's the wife. He doesn't give her up either. Yeah, because she's Ducat still alive the killer. in the present. Because she made it to the present. Yeah, actually, kind of unsatisfying. Wait, did we ever find out who gets pinned? That murder gets pinned on. I don't think anybody got the murder pinned on him. Oh, Dakot's gonna be real pissed. I think about it's an that. unsolved crime. So how did he keep going on that job? I'm not. This is not your fault. I'm it's just a, asking. It's a good question. I'm just asking. I, he, he brought him on board because he was a great investigator, and then he doesn't give him anybody. My suspicion is that he kept Odo on that job because the Bajorans would actually talk to him. Ah, uh, so he he accidentally finds actual benefit in it. Right. Okay. Yes. All right. Um, we learn that. So anyway, in the present. We, when, when all is, when the dust is all cleared, Odo reveals that he no longer believes the woman killed her husband. Yeah. Once he figured out that everyone on the list was a Cardassian collaborator, mm-hmm. then he realized that the husband was a Cardassian collaborator. And then the next time he talks to Kira, he's like, well, I figured it out. You did kill that man. <laughs> you straight up killed like, that guy in the past. And she's like, yeah, I did. I did kill him though. Somebody else did that sabotage that I told you about. <laughs> yeah. And I did, I did do that murder. And he's like, well, you didn't tell me when the Cardassians were here, but it's been a whole goddamn year Yeah, that you could have come and said, hey, I did do that cool murder. It was pretty cool, too. And she's like, I don't know. I thought you'd hate me or whatever. Yeah, they get Anyway, they do some real character it. stuff. Mm-hmm. 
we also learned that the reason Goldicott brought uh, Odo in to do this was because he, I guess he knew that they were trying to get to someone who was close to him, and he probably didn't want Cardassians to realize that he was weak or compromised in that way. Yeah. Something like that, right? Yeah, his... So he his, brought Odo in as an outsider. Yeah, his link to the, a collaborator on the right. Bajoran side made it so that he he needed the outside guy to come in and right. take care of them business. Uh, so that's how it all wraps up. That lady is going to jail or whatever they do on Bajor because she definitely had somebody killed and she's been blackmailing a bunch of other people. And tried to have they're all killed. They're all collaborators, so they're in big shit. Yeah. And also she tried to have Quark killed. Yeah. She's definitely going away into the clink. Whatever, yep. whatever they call it there. Uh, I think he does like a little film noir wrap up. Yeah, probably. Stuff, because that's the framework for this episode. And what was it about Matthew? Mm, I had. There's no such thing as blind justice. Kira keeps telling him over and over again that he's going to have to pick a side. Yeah. Then he keeps saying, no, I'm an outsider. I don't have to. All I care about is justice. He says the word justice himself with his own mouth like two dozen times. And eventually he does absolutely choose a side. Because once you're, when one side is full of bad guys or whatever, then, you know, what are you going to do? Yep. So despite Odo's uh, protestations, uh, there's no there's no true blind impartial justice. Uh, which is a five. It just felt like it was meh. Uh, yeah, that's... We're in the same area, because what I wrote was... Justice is a bigger concept than just the law. Right. Like, he's... He thinks Kira did a sabotage. But he does not turn her in. But he's gonna let her go because he knows Dukat's gonna frame her up for this murder. Right. That she did do, but he doesn't know that. Right. Uh, and it's, so it's sort of that same, that same idea, but I kind of only thought it was worth three points. Oh, oof, oof. Because it's not a science fiction story to me. You could, I mean, you certainly can do it, but it doesn't require it. You could, any, you could do this in an actual film noir. You could do this exact same story in a film noir. Yeah, they tried. Yeah. (laughs) They tried to just make it a film noir. So, you know, to me, and again... This is my highest premise score so far this week, for sure. And mine, yeah. Uh, but it's, you know, it's about a three for me. It's not a Star Trekky premise particularly. Right. Anyway. Uh, ben gave it a six, by the way. He said, we ben all did do give what we must. It's right there in the title, but said in a couple of ways. Uh, you know, Kira holds out the truth from him. Uh picking sides, had to pick sides. So, sort of the same kind of thing. Uh, For what it's worth, she didn't go there to kill him, by the way. She was there trying to find that list of collaborators, but she never did find it because he hit it in a wall. And she killed the guy in self-defense. That's supposed to make us feel better about it. I was fine if she went there to kill him. We know she was a resistance operative. Yeah, that's all she did was kill people, I assume. if If she didn't kill anybody in that resistance, then it makes sense that her report card from Goldicott was so poor <laughs> yeah. that he gave her like a D minus for resistancing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. She was pretty insulted by that. Um, what about execution? How do you, how do you think it did? 
Ben's pick of the week. Hi, this is Ben Town, your remote Star Trek edition correspondent with my pick of the week. Pick of the week. Uh, you know what that means. This was... this was Ben's favorite episode, and he gave the highest score to Execution. Oh. So let's start with him. He gave it a 7. Okay. Saying, right away we have the femme fatale, and this is an old school mystery. And that is all true. <laughs> But it is not a great explanation. He liked it for though. giving it a seven. Well, he his, you didn't know, but his favorite movie is the Maltese Falcon. So, in contrast, I get he might probably does like the Maltese Falcon. In contrast, I gave this episode a five for execution. Okay, which is not bad for this week. Yeah, I find the flashbacks off-putting because TOS and TNG didn't really use them. Right, but I guess they're fine here. Because the alternative, if you want to tell this story, and that's a whole other discussion, yeah, would be to have a bunch of conversations where all this stuff is revealed. Oh, yeah, a ton of people Like a lot of conversations. Yeah. They'd have to do a lot of work. Um, and I thought that it's a dumb film noir story, for sure. Mm-hmm. But it's frankly more competent than most of Deep Space Nine's filmmaking attempts. Sure. Like, for one thing, they didn't play any Sam Spade music under it. <laughs> You're right, by the way. They didn't Dixon Hill it up. DS9 is 100% not above that, as we will see in and they all for sure the would. terrible Bashir secret agent episodes that That's will come right. in the future. So while they were doing it, and I was not thrilled, I actually thought that they did a better job with this than most of the things they attempted to do in the first season. Okay, all right. Um. Also, this is an origin story? Yes, sort of. And I don't know that we necessarily need an origin story for how these characters meet, all meet each other. Yeah. But if you're going to do one, 27 episodes in is probably a decent place for it. They're not trying to do this in episode three. Right, right, right. So, all told, I thought it was real middle of the road, I gave it a five. Uh, looks like I split the difference between you and Ben. I gave it a six. Yeah. Uh, it's one hell of a bad film noir, but I didn't hate the Terok North setting. No. I, it was actually kind of interesting to see Kira, Odo, and Quark together with Dukat and how yep. much things have changed in just over a year, both on the station and between them and everything. But man, Odo is written badly. Well, and, Dude so, and can't it's also, shut up about justice. He's like a, a totally two D character. He's just yes, he just says sure. the same thing over and over again. And maybe he, that's to show that he wasn't he wasn't completely up to speed with humanoids yet, or something. Yes, that's true. And my my criticism of most of the first season Deep Space Nine episodes, at least all of the Monster of the Week and Virus of the Week episodes, yeah. was. You gave us, you have an interesting setting here. Yeah. I want to know much, much more about the Cardassians and yeah. the occupation and why they left and how things worked. Mm-hmm. And you instead, instead you, you give, give me Rumpelstiltskin. You give us all of the most generic sci-fi premises here on the station every week. Cisco yeah. shouts that it's all in your mind and the danger's not real. <laughs> and, and then it goes then away. Okay. <laughs> Alan Moraine. <laughs> They're trapped, um, yeah. So they are when they give you 
even if they have to do it in a flashback, when they give you Terok Nor and stuff like... The Bajorans have, like, weird communal quarters on the station, except mm-hmm. this guy was rich enough that they had their own quarters, and that should have been a clue to Odo, but wasn't. Yeah. And right? That, that, Stuff that, like that. They have different jobs and responsibilities that are considered more and less, um, uh, you know, your reputation as a Bajoran kind of goes, Are you? do you work in the mines, or do you work with quarks? Right. Or, You're not allowed to transfer. Are you allowed to detail. be a merchant? Right. Or, you know, exactly. like that, yeah. So like that as a setting it's it's we should have had more of it up to this point. Yeah. I agree. Um and in terms of the take, Odo definitely comes down on the side of Kira twice in the past yep. and the present. Therefore disproving that he needs to pick a side in order to do his job and I that it disproving that he can do it without picking a side. I mean, and I actually think that um that's good because when one side is evil it would I mean, it would kind of be unjust not to pick sides, so I'm okay with it. So I give it a. Six. Yeah, there's a weird like false objectivity, or every you have to present both sides, even if one side is garbage. Or... Right. Yeah, I'm not here to judge. I'm just here to go by the letter of the law or whatever. So exactly. When he did not come down on that side, that was good. Um. So that's yeah. I gave it a six. And um. Uh, in terms of world building, uh, they got them. Their magnesite drops. Yep. That burn off the panels on the wall. Uh, yeah, that's true. Odo's dumb relationship with Starfleet, where they apparently, even though he doesn't work in Starfleet, they can still make him do those security. He still logs. has to fill out an I nine or whatever or T fourteen. Yep. Compressed Tetrion beam weapons get through security easily. Maybe they should work on that. Yeah, if you if you say, well, it has to be something that made it through our scanners, I'm guessing a compressed Tetrion beam. Hey, hey, why don't you work on that? There's some low-hanging fruit here for you guys. <laughs> yeah, knock that off the list. How about the next time something gets through the scanners, you actually have to work on it and figure out what it is. That'd be cool. How about O'Brien gets something in his work log that says, make the scanners detect compressed <laughs> Tetrion weapons. So fucking people don't keep getting shot on the station. That would be good. Um, oh, and then, of course, the majority of the episode, all the inner workings of the station in the past, Dukat's administration there, um, those are major world-building aspects, as we just talked about, in terms of building the DS9 universe, and so I gave it as high as a 5. Yeah, and I gotta say, you talked me up, because, I mean, I hadn't really thought about that. I had it as a 3, and I had stuff like, the promenade closes at night. Right. Like, they turn out the lights. Yeah, yeah. It is very racial much, memories, of course. It is very much on a calendar that, uh, that uh, I, I think Quarks is supposed to be open pretty late, but even it shuts down, because we see many scenes where he's in there by himself counting money or whatever. Yeah. Uh, collaborators in the underground. Right. Uh, Cardassian USO tours. Yep. That's a thing. But you're right. All of the stuff about Tarak Nor and how it worked is is more important than I originally gave it credit for. So I'm bouncing it out all the way up to a five myself. Well, good. We're getting some points done. Finally, we're awarding points. It's been a while. It is. Uh, ben, uh, he also had five for world building. Uh, he called them Vichy Bajorans because, of course, there would be uh, more Ducat as the military governor. It is true, and it is worth pointing out that the, there is a dumber version of this take where there aren't. Yeah, where there, every Bajorans. single Bajoran is a right. resistance fighter to the end. Essentially, they're all bounty hunters, right? <laughs> exactly, right. 
so characterization. Uh, characterization. I uh, also have it as a five. Okay. So first actual skill ROM displays. Yes. Um, yeah, I have uh, ROM coming into his own. Right. In this episode. And I think that the the way that they explain these things, too, are that he actually has been forced to develop these skills because Quark's a piece of shit. Yes, exactly correct. In some ways, it's the best thing Quark could have done for him. Right, yeah. Turned I think that, that makes, that makes sense. Like, he's picked these skills up because it was that or wait around for Quark to never be responsible. Right. Uh, Odo is suspiciously racist for being the station's main weirdo. <laughs> That's right. You'd think he'd be afraid of people having um, yeah. some of them bad, bad stereotype ideas about him. But he's like, well, you're a Ferengi. Of course you'd kill your brother. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like the part in his backstory where he was like a weird camp arbitrator. Like, he would go around settling disputes in these Bajoran camps. Right. Well, at least it gives us uh, some idea of what happened after he left his little lab. Where they were doing, where they found him, or whatever, they were working on him, and then when he was security chief, or whatever. I thought um, uh, Ducat was just fine, as always. They didn't really give him any room to breathe in this one. I still very much enjoyed him. He's fine. He He shows up, he's he's menacing. He doesn't say that he is looking for a Bajoran to hang, and he doesn't really care which Bajoran. But you know it. It comes across. That's right. That's called acting, everybody. Yep. Marco Lamo, who knew? Yeah. Um, but look, the the main thing here is the Kira Odo relationship, and I actually thought it landed fairly well. Yeah. I think um you know, Nana Visitor is a reasonably good actress when she, she has something be. to do when she has something to do other than go hey, go get a library book about trails. <laughs> or maybe when she says something like um Oh, what did she say at the end of the episode when the guy dies in her arms? Fuck. I've totally forgotten that. <laughs> the, when the Cardassian guy dies? Who cares? It's a Cardassian. And then she says... Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, well, That is, one, that, that didn't land. They give her some melodrama and she she is happy to um, well, they have, Yeah, they have in. one flickering door light lighting the scene. Yeah. And... Then there's fog and a saxophone play. She will and straight up like, dive Whoa. into that, though. She will. So that's what I'm saying. So yes. don't give her the melodrama either, because she'll oh, be like, Oh, she's a stage I'm actor. In. Yeah. So you got to be careful. Yeah. But um, anyway, I thought that the Kira Oda stuff actually, actually lands in this one. Like, their motivations kind of make sense. And yeah, that's not a conversation you're going to volunteer to have. Right. So... I thought it basically worked, so I gave it a five for characterization. Let's see. Uh, Odo has no need for recording logs and doesn't see the purpose. Given how Starfleet treats these logs, I can sympathize. He does the Cardassian neck trick at parties in the past. Odo straight up gives Kira an opening line in the flashback. A pretty girl like you shouldn't be eating alone. Whoa, dude. Calm down. Yep. And Mike Andrews, we've already talked about, he says the word justice out loud so many goddamn times. Uh, this is a Rom, a Rom uh, coming of age or coming into his own story. And I did enjoy his version of the silly Ferengi screams. 
when he fights off. He that is dude. the only one who pulls that shit off. Yeah, correctly. I don't like it when Quark does it. Now the joke of in this one where he realizes that now Quark is going to live and he saved his life and that means he's not going to inherit the bar and he starts screaming again the exact same way, I don't think works no, 100%. that did not work. But the screaming as, as was... a result of the attack... <laughs> yeah, just standing there screaming long after the is attack great. is over. It's... That works just fine for yeah. me. <laughs> he just shouldn't have... They just shouldn't have pushed it one step too far right. at the end there. Yeah. But it's Deep Space They Nine. tried to write do? a joke. Yep. Uh, Bashir's writers have been watching some medical dramas. There's a lot of shouting when he's trying to save Quark, and he even says yep. stat. He does say stat. I thought, oh, they turned on some ER. They wanted to find out what doctors sound like, so they went to TV. Yep. But that was the first time he's ever sounded like that, so. They did a TV. It's true. Cisco uh, uh, happily joins in the good cop, bad cop game with Rom. Just dives right in. And is happy to be good cop. He does. But for me, it didn't really sell that Odo was doing bad cop intentionally. I think Cisco capitalized on Odo's actual dis- disgust. Actually being a bad cop. For Rom. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Goldicott is still the best part of the show, unless Garrick is on the screen. Um, That's how I feel, too. Quark of the past brags about his sexual exploits with Kira in a particularly disgusting way. I understand now that that is part of the uh, plot. That he had it to is give her a thing, but oof. he had to give her an alibi. Oof. She probably didn't say, "Say I was here, <laughs> real t- trying to fuck you to get a job." Yeah, really talk it up about him. What kind of a slut I am? That's what I yeah. want. It's probably coming from his fertile imagination. Yeah, so good job, DS Nine. We're really making a lot of progress with these characters. <laughs> um, the only effective piece outside of Ducat is Flash. I think Flashback Kira. She's yeah, different. I thought Flashback Kira was good. She's different enough from present Kira that you can imagine some of the journey she's been on in the time between them. And the realization that she did straight up kill the dude and the relationship between Odo and, and Kira and everything, it gave them something to explore. They kind of didn't because it was the end of the episode. But there's something there. Now, yeah, it's on the table now. Unfortunately, this is an Odo episode, and Odo was so deplorably bad in it. It's not his best so, work. I had to give it a three, despite enjoying Ducat and a little bit of the Kira stuff, because Bashir was bad uh, with the little part he was in it, and Odo was so bad. I mean, if there weren't other characters in this, it would have gotten a one, you know? Like, Odo was terrible. Yep. So. <clears throat> so that's it. Uh, what did Ben, uh, what did ben While do? I do some math, did you... Were you still doing any quick hitters at this point? Well, let's see. Ben gave it a six for characterization. Oh, he did. Just real quick. Yeah, um, this was his, again, this was his pick of the week. Yeah. Um, yeah, I got some uh, I got some quick ones. Let's see. Um, the beats in this first scene are way off. It's, this is what I have written because I didn't realize this is what they were doing. It's so cheesy. It's like bad film noir. Yeah, and then I realized after that I went, "Oh no, that's they're, that's what they're trying to do." They're trying to do film noir, and they're not capable of doing it good. Yeah, and also no one should. There was enough film noir made in the film noir era. Yeah, it wasn't actually a good medium. We don't need to refer to it constantly. Yeah, we've already seen Dixon Hill at this point. In fact, yeah, let's let's call it quits. It rained that day by the city by the bay or whatever he says. Like, shut the fuck up. Um, hard rain bullets and you're like yeah we got it thank you sir thanks we understand metaphor um this Bajoran lady is Itana Jal as we talked about um I say oh god damn it flashbacks 
Uh, okay, so I didn't I didn't like that they never talked about it in the year or whatever. She was almost executed for this crime. Like, if she had been named, she would have been executed, and they almost named her. And they never, ever talked about it again. But then as soon as somebody hears about a list of Bajoran names, they both start blabbing about it at the same time. Yeah. Like, the instant they found that list, they bo- they'll come up to each other and they're like, I was just thinking about that crime. And then he's like, I was thinking the same thing. But it's something they've well, never, they, ever they talked about. They both know where the list was found, also. Yeah. Um, I don't know, Doc. Do you think that she would want to have this weird conversation with him? Like, I just, hey, by the way, you let me off the hook years and years ago. I did actually kill that Oh, man. I'm saying even if it never came up with her uh, confessing, the fact that they've never referenced this encounter before, which yeah, was the true. first time they ever met. And yeah, there could have been a throwaway line in there at any point of the first time I met you, I was investigating a murder and yeah. you were a suspect. Or any time they talk about like collaborators or her time in the resistance, like I'm just saying it's never ever come up. It seems kinda weird. But then it so easily comes up when they find this list. That's what I thought was weird. Yeah. Um nobody ever had to teach me the justice trick. Yeah. Good as Lord. A, referring to the Cardassian neck trick. Yeah. Who wrote this? Um Peter Allen Fields wrote this. So send him it's hate not, mail. It's not a good sign that you looked it up. Send him hate mail if you can. Because I know you didn't get that out of the credits, because no. you don't watch the credits any more than I do. No. When that music starts up again, it is time to quit. <laughs> yeah, I've had enough at that point. Uh, that is the point where I have to start thinking about what this fucking episode means. Yep, no, literally, I heard that line, and then I had to find out who wrote it so that I could hate them. Because that's just... No one had to teach me the justice trick. That's just... That's one of the worst lines in Star Trek. Anyway, that's all I had for quick hitters. Uh... Quark scratches his ear in the beginning as kind of a stand-in for adjusting himself. Uh, yeah, he does. Yeah. Umox, if Rom was a good burglar, he would catch that metal plate before it clanks down on the ground like that. Yeah, they're both just yapping away, and that thing slams onto the ground. If there was any security on this goddamn station, they might go, Hey, what was that? When, uh, when Quark sends Rom away to get something so that he can be shot, Rom takes these very fast, very short little baby steps mm. as he walks out of there. And I wondered if someone directed him to walk out of there crazy like that, or if that's his little character secret. That is a character secret for sure, because that is how Rom walks the rest of the series. Rom walks with weird, fast little baby steps. He's a, we- he's a fucking little creeper. Is what He's a weirdo little dude. Uh, are we rehabilitating Gul Dukat here? Oh, no, we're not. No. <laughs> we're definitely not. No. Yeah, you're at the beginning, he's like presenting it like, I just want to find who did this, and you're the best way to do it. And it's like, yeah, no. The Bajorans won't talk to my men, and then there won't be any justice, and I want justice. And everyone likes the justice, the J word. Odo expected this lady's epidermis to swell up enormous. Yeah. That's how he knows she hasn't been crying about her dead husband. Yep. Well, she doesn't dispute it. She just acts like she's caught. She doesn't go, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. She goes, ah, I gave, bah, 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 bah. Anyway. I gave best actor to Rom, but not in the screaming scene. <laughs> right. And worst actor to Gumshoe Odo. Yeah. Gumshoe Odo. He did a bad, it was bad writing, so I don't think the actor was in a good spot, but it was not, it also wasn't good. I had this as a 16. Uh, you talked me up to an 18. Oh. You had this as a 19. That is 37 By points. far the winner so far. That is the total of the points from TOS and TNG put together. 
boy. A rare 37 week. is also um, higher than any show's average. All right. So it's an above average episode, we've decided, despite right. the fact that it was a terrible film noir. Yep. Um, <clears throat> a shining gem in this week, but, you know, there's still two chances to beat that 37. 37's not unbeatable. Right. It's a 37 wins the week most weeks, but it's not unbeatable. No. Hey, man, t- in week 23, there was a 52 and a 48. Yeah, that was a baller week. That's insane. Uh, this week, we watched Resistance. This is episode number of four that we've watched this week. For um, <clears throat> Dragon Boy Suede. Um, all right. Uh, number four. These guys are up to some undercover shenanigans. We see them on the planet. They're they're in the street clothes. They're doing some kind of deal. Neelix is gonna go buy some stuff. Some some kind of ship stuff for the ship. But it's a weird vial of yellow powder. Yeah. That the spaceship needs, or it can't do warps. It can't do any more of the good warps if it doesn't have the yellow powders. Uh, So Neelix goes off to get some of that, but oh no, as soon as he leaves, they all get ambushed by security dudes in motorcycle helmets. And then they're all taken away to the jail, except for Janeway, who's left wounded on the street. Uh, Some some weird little creeper dude saves her, and uh, I guess adopts her, because he's insane, maybe, and thinks that she... Despite her advanced age, she is his daughter. Uh, this old dude lost his wife, I guess. Uh, she was captured by the bad guys, and he wants to save the save the wife, and he keeps telling Janeway they're going to get her mom back or whatever. I don't even know what to say about that part of the plot. It was so creepy, and it kept going. From the prison where Torres and Tuvok are being held. Okay. Coincidentally is where he thinks his wife is. Yes, yeah. The same they only got the one prison, I guess. And um yeah, Tuvok and Torres are being held there and they're being interrogated as the C plot or something. I don't know what the point of that is. Yeah. Just to show what what Tuvok is capable of enduring or whatever. Um Meanwhile on the ship they they get that yellow powder back from Neelix. They managed to beam him up. So now the ship can yeah, work He again. wasn't there when that raid went down. Yeah. He was off buying the powder. And he succeeds. And they can run the ship again, but now they got to get their crew back. So they run into the director of the Backstep program from Seven Days. And he's leading the uh, the actor who played that guy. is leading the security uh, team on this planet. And uh, huh. I don't know. They're... They're positioning the whole time, negotiating and and trying to figure out a way to get their people back. <sighs> Until Chicota gets impatient. Yeah. <laughs> Look, um, it all goes down, right? Janeway and the old dude attack the prison, and uh, it looks like it's all going to go wrong, and they're getting captured. But then the little the little old weird dude kills kills the director of the backstep program. So now they can't do backsteps anymore. <laughs> Yeah, keep the seven days reference. I don't coming. know. All right, look, this nothing happened in this episode. They 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 try to get the lady out of the prison. Turns out, the lady's been dead for a million years. This this guy's wife, supposedly. And this is like this guy's tenth attack on the prison. Yeah, he attacks the prison like every other day or whatever. And they he think just he's, just sort of doesn't remember. They them. think he's a silly old man, so they just let him keep doing it. Um, 
but I guess he's gotten others in trouble in the past, including, I guess, his daughter. Um, anyway, he kills, uh, he kills the backstep guy, and he dies, so great. And then they, get, they go back up to the ship, and then they, they've left yet another planet as their mortal enemy or whatever at the end of the day. Yep. Hey, what was this one? What was this one about? <clears throat> there are all kinds of ways to resist tyranny. Hmm. All, all kinds. How, like, how many? Will, how many of the crew will it there's, take to see the There's all? two to three kinds. <laughs> okay, all right. We get to learn about enduring torture. Sometimes enduring it is all you can do. Hmm. And by not giving up any information, that's how they're resisting. Well, I mean, Sheridan agrees. He says, all you have to do is say no one more time than they say yes, right? Yep. There's old man Calum's weird clown act that gets that guy off the hook briefly. Yeah. Yep. There's Chakotay's very dumb fire all weapons and attack like I'm Jonathan Archer plan. Yeah, he really... It's not a good plan. It's probably the worst plan of the ones it, we see. He kind of pulls a Riker up there. Like when Picard and uh, Dathan are down on that planet and Riker's only plan is to shoot the shit out of the other ship. There's Janeway's sexual espionage plan. Oh, boy. I hope you don't. Anyway, points. there's just a, there's just all kinds of resistance in the episodes called resistance. I know we'll get into it, but I hope you docked points for Hooker Janeway. I didn't love it. <laughs> What'd you give the take that you just explained? Four. Okay. It's something, and at least it's not... Well, sometimes you're just going to have to shoot a dude. You, you explained it, you told me what your take was going to be, because I was desperately searching for one, and I wasn't convinced, so I didn't adopt it. Yeah, that's fine. I have. Just because somebody's nuts doesn't mean you can't empathize with them, and that is one point. <laughs> The point of this episode is to feel <laughs> nice about the crazy man. Sorry, they spent so much time with the crazy man in this episode. Like oh, they that thought was, that they thought that was gangbusters. They that thought crazy they man really did. had a great relationship between Janeway and that guy. And uh, dog, they thought they were doing that Red Dead Redemption quest where you go like, <laughs> "Go get my wife loves flowers. Go get my wife some lavender." And you spend hours and you fucking, fucking riding around. turn up with your lavender five yeah. years later, and he's like. She's been dead the whole time. Like, <laughs> gotcha. And you're like, thanks. Thanks, me. Rockstar. You could, you got me again. You got me again, and I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I gave it a one. So that's the third time this week. That is very bad. That's an extremely bad score. It's the second worst score you can give if you're not Ben. Ben <laughs> gives negative scores. I don't believe yeah, in that. It's not on the rubric at all, I don't think. Did you, did you like the execution even a little bit better? Well, here's what I have written. Boy, I gotta be honest, I did not care one fucking bit about this crazy old dude's backstory. <laughs> Negative points for Hooker Janeway. This was I mean, this is... a nothing episode that bored me so bad I tore my clothes and burst into tears. Here... <laughs> I gave it a one. Oh, God. Here's the deal. Once you know that he believes Janeway is his daughter, yeah. and she is not his daughter... Correct. You don't believe the wife is in there? No, not even for a second. He's telling you not to believe that. Yep. Yes. Janeway apparently believes it, though. She's dumb as hell, man. Just dumb as just dumb as anything. 
She thinks the prime directive is believe an old man. <laughs> it says right there the prime directive. If an old man tells you it must be true. All right, I explained why I thought this was a... Most of what I wrote for Don't Suck was why I thought this might be about resistance. Okay. But... <laughs> but it is a by-the-numbers story about an old man driven mad by grief and his redemption from cowardice. No, oh, okay. I mean, that's what it is. Okay, yep. Uh, I was feeling more generous than you. I actually gave it a, as much as a four. Damn, dude, you double foured on this motherfucker. Yeah. I went four and four. Nice job. We are pretty far off on this so far. We are a little bit apart. Okay. We're a ways apart. I have eight through the top half and you have two. Yeah. So this is a good time to check in with Ben. He gave it a three on the take, saying the cost of resistance is as great as the evil it opposes. Ouch. That's or maybe dark. it's about Don Quixote, like Memory Alpha said. <laughs> Frankly, I had to look this one up because I forgot all about it. I guess there is a Don Quixote element yeah. here. Yeah. But again, it's a, that means the story is about the old man and not about any of our characters. This is what I'm saying. Execution, he gave a four. So he's a total of seven through the top half. He's much more closely aligned to me. Mm. Opens with a techno babble. Always a Voyager. About all their engines. Voyager loves the techno babble. Yeah, most of the work is uh, creating a relationship between the crazy guy and Janeway, which doesn't have any meaning in the larger context of the show and no stakes. Yes, correct. And it doesn't land. That's right. It's absolutely correct. Yeah. But that's worth a four to him. So. Here. World. You do the world. The world building. building. Yeah. Here we have. Tellarium is required in warp reactors. Yes. 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 Metaphasic shields exist in the Delta Quadrant. There you go. Phased ion cannons. Those are cannons. I give it a two. Hmm. All right. And it's mostly for the callback to metaphasic shields. How about these juicy nuggets? Okay, let's hear it. If the antimatter, whatever, drops below 9%, the injectors will lock up and they'll never be able to open them up again. Who designed this? It seems like a very bad design. Who designed this ship, and why did they do well, it? Are they just fucking with people? They weren't designed to be stranded seventy thousand light years from home. It's just what if you got to replace the, the? What if you got to turn the ship off or whatever? You got to like do some maintenance in there. If the thing ever gets below nine percent, they'll just yeah, that's it. You need a new ship now, I guess. Maybe there's a safe shutdown method, but you can't. I don't know. The Makra or Mokra or whatever they're called. Those are the bad alien guys. Yep. Yeah, never. We never really. The specifics of this resistance do not matter in any way. You know no. how in that episode Desert Crossing, where that guy thinks that because Archer busted those people yeah. out of that prison, he's going to help them? The guy with, that I thought was a cartoon, resistance. but you and Ben liked. Right. Yeah. Uh, do you know how they like? he explained why the government was bad mm -hmm. and his resistance was good, etc.? And the government explained why he was bad? And then at the end, he was like, this has all been for nothing. Etc. Right. Anyway, they don't make any attempt. No, they present. We see us... that the Makra aren't nice. Yeah, they present to... us with a planet that has multiple kinds of aliens on it. By yes. the way, uh, yep, yep. Uh, and that it does seem like a pretty poor place, destitute in the area that they're in. Like the streets seem kind of gross. Well, if you're a crazy old man, you might have to live in the Hooker District <laughs> yeah. where things aren't so nice. Right, exactly. Like and... I don't think this guy has a job. That's all I'm saying about and, that. Uh, the dudes have the motorcycle helmets, and they they're not shy about hitting you. Right, 
They look like the guys from Free Jack, so they're bad. I get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, what I'm saying is they, they, they sort of they, they use visual the language world. to explain these things, but make no attempt. That's correct. But it's fine because we know that Janeway couldn't really be a part of their resistance anyway. Obviously, yeah. because of the Prime Directive, yeah. she's just got to get her goddamn crew back, and, and get then out of maybe there. while she's there, she'll sacrifice her life to try to save uh, some old lady who's been dead a long time. Yeah, something like that. Uh, I also gave it a two. Yeah, two's reasonable. This is uh, not about not about the world of Star Trek, and does not inform mm, no. the world of Star Trek at all. But I got some character notes. Yeah, let's hear them. Torres is willing to mix it up with anybody to protect her precious Tuvok. <laughs> I guess Janeway is really patient and sympathetic for this weirdo, but she they also... They had some tender moments on that Maquis ship. No, she was <laughs> she was crazy, crazy lusting after Chakotay. Yep. Uh, Janeway uh, also kind of uses this guy to get what she needs, this crazy old dude. But I guess in the end, she, she tries to do it right by trying to save the lady that's dead. Um, Chakotay plays boring idiot for the whole yep. episode. Um, Neelix is also in this episode. Uh, by the way, everything Chakotay does in this episode makes it worse. Yeah, he's a he's just like I can't stand to sit here waiting for these guys to deliberate whether they're going to return the crew or not. It's like, well, I don't know. Maybe you should, buddy. Oh, uh, Harry Kim has a plan to fire phasers at the prison, so let's do that. <laughs> uh, let's see. Tuvok is in it as well. He's good at not getting upset about his tortures. I gave it a three. Yeah. Dog, I gave it a two. Okay. Um, Janeway doesn't even pay lip service to the Prime Directive in this episode. Mm-mm. Chakotay insists on diplomatic effort and then launches an attack on the planet because he is impatient. Yeah. Paris is sent to lead a rescue team because they haven't bothered to introduce any other security team members. No, they may not have a security team. I don't know. Just Tuvok. And... And Bellana's entire function in the story is to ask questions about Vulcan stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's no good character work done in this at all. Yeah. It's a 2 out of 10. Okay. All right. Uh, let's check in with Ben. On the back half, he gave it uh, a 1 on world building. Uh, he says the problem with Voyager is all the throwaway storylines about throwaway alien civilizations. That's correct. And he gave it a 6 for characterization which is eye-opening. Janeway trying to vamp is just gross and really doesn't seem like it's working on the other actor. It's true. It's true, by the way. Oh, yeah. The the uh, guy who's supposed to be, like, lusting after her kind of doesn't seem like he's that into it. No. No, he's sort of The actor couldn't pull it off. I could probably get hard. I don't know. I mean, we'll find out, I guess. I could always just, you know, dispose of your body somewhere, I guess, at the end. This fucking needy whore is always coming around. Um... And by trying the, to get this good, good mokra. Um, and he also says Janeway being empathetic while trying to accomplish her mission is really nice. Tuvok is really tough. Torres is tough and sassy. I don't think he was putting a lot of thought into these notes. I don't think he did either. All right. <clears throat> um, uh, I did some old math. Um, I don't have that many quick hitters in this one. Okay. This old boy looks familiar, but I looked him up. He's not like... He's not anybody that's ever been in Star Trek or Babylon 5 or anything. You mean the crazy dude? Yeah. Yeah. He's he's Jennifer Gray's dad, but like... What? Yeah. How come they couldn't get her? I don't know. They didn't. They already had Janeway to be sexy. What did they oh, need her they for? They could have flashbacks. She could have been the daughter. 
You know, it would have been a real life father daughter thing. And acting. they could have had her picture in there at some point, yeah. right? Like, all right, they really wasted an cute, opportunity. Anyway, he seems like an interesting guy. He had a bunch of kids and was married for a long time, but eventually came out that he'd been gay the whole time. So he was living one of those secret hmm. gay before it was cool lifestyle. And also acting. Also, he's an actor. Mm-hmm. Um. This uh, wrap tunic pencil skirt combo looks like something Kate Mulgrew herself picked out. Doesn't it? <laughs> I think she just went, she just had a little fun in the wardrobe department on this old boy. Yeah, it was like, uh, it was part the bangles and part Stevie Nicks. Yeah. That's what she thinks of as sexy. Yeah. I guess this uh, guard mm. can't say anything to his buddy about slinking off with a hooker. Because he was just proposing to take a nap. <laughs> That's right. He He's like, how does our shift change? Three hours? I'm going to get some sleep. I'm going to be asleep back here. Nice. And then the hooker shows up for the other guy, and he's got to be like, well, I guess I don't get to take that nap. <laughs> yep. But he, like, he can't say shit about it. Taking a nap, definitely not going to be allowed. That's right. You, once in that guard scenario. Yeah, once you've decided to take a nap, you cannot shit on anybody else's ideas. Uh... Why don't you go through your quick hitters while I just take a little look at my synopsis. Uh, Harry Kim asks the other engineer guy to unlock the conduit, but he just, like, pulls the panel off the wall. You could have done that yourself, Kim. Yep. Uh, As I said, he's the guy who... um, The security guy is the guy who ran the backstep program in seven days, but he was also uh, the commander of that prison camp where war fucked that teenager. He's that Romulan? Yep, and he played Romulan. He's Burrell's daddy? And he played another Romulan commander in Data's Day. The one it's who... not Burrell, it's Bael, right? Bael, yeah. And he also plays the Romulan commander in Data's Day who laughs at Picard when he uh, when he gets back. What's her name? Ambassador, whatever. Oh, yeah. So he's played I always forget that before. that's in Data's Day. Yeah. He's played two Romulans before this. Um. Oh, also in real life, he married the lady who played Lursa. So... Well, that's super fun. I know. I like uh, sometimes when I recognize a guy and I go into the backstory, I go, they had oh, a I'm glad I did of their own. They did. They did. That's true. He's a Romulan. She's a Klingon. Oh, that's so true. And then okay. Worf saw her bathing. It was creepy. Yeah, she's definitely underage, but it's yeah. cool. Though. I don't know. Klingons. Who knows how Klingons do it? It's cool, though. Well, I mean, Alexander comes of age in like a minute and a half, so maybe that's just, they, they just develop faster. Um, this crazy guy looks like he's five years older than Janeway, Max. It is a little bit of a problem. And he still thinks it's his daughter. He's like, this dude must be nuts. Um, I like that people keep pointing out Voyager's bad reputation. I do. That that was my favorite part also, is that their reputation is catching up with them again. That's what happens when you stop I just wish metal. that they would something would happen as a result. Like, they would change their behavior yeah, in Yeah, like some in, way, uh, or... we saw Archer have to deal with it in Enterprise. Yep. It would be nice if Voyager had to deal with it. <clears throat> hey, this red-headed dude who wants to bone Hooker Janeway, he was in uh, peak performance. Red-headed security officer. Oh, so that's why he looked familiar. Mm. He was the guy who took over when Worf went over to use Klingon Guile. He's the guy who goes, bye-bye, Hathaway. Or whatever he says when, either, yeah. when they're sure they're going to win the battle or whatever. He couldn't back his shit up. That's why you never see him again. <laughs> that's right. Well, Picard doesn't like a braggart, you know? So that guy was gone. Uh, that's all I had. 
Yeah, I didn't find anything else in there. Um, I give best actor to as galling as it is, maybe Kim. Oh, oh boy. I didn't think there were a lot of great performances in this one. But that's a first, right? I mean, yeah, it might be. Holy crap. I might have given it to him in that one where he was in alternate San Francisco because there really wasn't anyone else. Yeah, okay, maybe. And uh, I gave worst actor to He Was Lying, Father Janeway. Doing her big acting at the end. She's not great. I gave this whole episode 12 points. You gave it 7 points. That is 19 points. Oh, no. That's bad even by Voyager standards. Hold on a second. So I've given seven. I've given. And you've given a seven, an eight, a nine, and a 19. I've given three under 10. Oh, yeah. this is a bad one. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Necessary Evil, still still out with a huge lead. Yeah. And um, <laughs> only one challenger remains. Yeah. Will it beat Necessary Evil, or will it be another one of these low-scoring episodes? This week we watched Carbon Creek. <laughs> I recognize Kwong Su's music. <laughs> that is, of course, the music they play on Running Man whenever something bad happens to Kwong Su. Archer and Trip are celebrating T-Paul's one-year anniversary on board. That's nice. And Archer is curious about something in her record. Specifically, that she went to Carbon Creek, Pennsylvania By the way, this is vacation. a shitty framing device. That he yeah. had to do an evaluation and saw that she had been to Carbon Creek and was so curious about it, we had to have an episode about it. So she tells a story. All right. The first real contact between Vulcans and humans was in Pennsylvania in the 50s because of Sputnik. One of them damn Vulcans was her great-grandmother, Tamir. Uh, Yeah. uh, Played by her. The Vulcans were there to investigate the launch of Sputnik, but they were forced to land because they had a malfunction. And they ran out of food, and they went into the town. Yep. And they met all the locals at a local bar. They played pool. They took up odd jobs. They became part of the community. Yeah, it was they like argued a about plumber leather. and a miner and right. And she swept up at the bar. Yeah. And they argued about whether humanity had a future at all. And then her old buddy Mistral, the other Vulcan, hmm. the third one, I don't think even has a name. No, I don't even know why he's necessary. But the second Vulcan, Mistral. He went on a little date with the barkeep, and Tamir saw him kissing her, but then she was won over a little bit because the barkeep's son was kind of like a thoughtful little wiener. He's like, I want to learn He was interested in meditation and astronomy, etc. So anyway, they all sort of find their little place in this society, and then there's a big old mine accident, and Mistral risks discovery by using a particle weapon to get the trapped miners out. Right. And then the Vulcans show up to uh, pick him up and uh, and to get money so that the the barkeep's son could go to college. Tamir goes on down to some company in, in Pennsylvania and uh, probably in Philadelphia, right? And sells, uh, sells the invention of Velcro to some guy and takes the money and puts it in the tip jar so this kid can go to college. Vile. And uh, and then lies so Mistral can stay behind and travel the world, and maybe he's still alive. Anyway, 
at the end, T'Pol suggests that possibly she made this whole shit up. Yep. <laughs> that they, Archer and Trip sort of can't believe it, and she's like, well, I don't know, you asked for a story. Then she goes to her quarters and fucking unwraps Tamir's purse. Yeah. So some part of it probably happened. Anyway. Yeah. What's this hey, about? Hey, fear of others' prejudice is itself a form of prejudice. Try again. <clears throat> the fear of the prejudice that others show is itself a form of prejudice. So what you are saying is that the Vulcans... So the Lady Vulcan, Tamir, you said the name was? Yes. Uh, can never get along with the humans or she because she, she fears they won't accept her. Like, right off the bat. So she can't ever, like, get in good with them. But the other guy, he's like... I don't know, let's see what happens. And he gets all in there, and he finds that humans are going to be his best friends, and he can bone them and everything. But her concern from the beginning isn't that they won't fit in, it's that they will contaminate Earth culture. No, she says that a couple of times, but many times she says that they will not react well when they find out what they are. Yeah. I think she's afraid of being discovered, and that they will um, hurt, Pro- hurt, her, hurt her body. Um, shouldn't she uh, like laser off her ears or something? Yeah, I don't know why they make the Vulcans so. Um, they really love having their ears out. Do they get really warm or something? Because whenever they get home from their jobs, they like brush their hair around, so push their, their ears hair back are yeah. again. Um, I gotta be honest. Also, as if you couldn't just say, "Yeah, I got fucked up ears." Yeah, why are you looking at my ears? Actually, we all have them because we're related because we're family. This is a fucking mining thing. town. There's probably people there <laughs> yeah. with all kinds of weird deformities. That's right. For sure. Like every fifth baby is their mom got too much coal tar in her lungs and it has weird ears or something. Yeah. I don't know what let alone all the people who have lost legs and arms and shit. Um You think that you think you couldn't just go, Yeah, I've always had ears like that. They're people I usually keep them covered because people stare. Like that'd be it. That'd be the end of that conversation. And then people go, Well, you all have like we're related, it's a family thing. It's in yeah. our family. We got these pointy ears in our family. So just leave it alone. Um, boy, I gave that a five, dog, because I feel like, you know, that's something you could take home and think about and ruminate on, right? You could be like, hey, maybe my fear of everybody else's prejudice, that's prejudice. I mean, so that, that take did not occur to me. And also listening to you describe it. (laughs) Yep. I did not find it compelling okay all right fair enough that's fair i'll say but here is the problem that we're having Mm. my take for this episode is stories are neat oh boy and that is a zero point (laughs) you gave it a zero i thought we were gonna get out of this week without a zero but not possible so let's check in on ben if his is like yours maybe i'll have to nope Give it even one. Vulcans get nostalgic. Even Vulcans get nostalgic, or Vulcans aren't such human-hating dipshits after all. One. He gave it one, yeah. We could have seen either of those with just T'Pol in the present, of course. Yep. There would be no need to do this fun, fun story I guess there. that's the nostalgia part. She got to tell a fun story about Grandma. I think I'm keeping my zero. Yeah, it's fine. Feel free. I feel good about it. I feel like I bent over backwards, just like old times. Yeah. Yo, you you dug for for gold, and you came away with a tie for your highest premise of the week. Okay, it's a great nugget that I got there. It's like you pulled it out. I've moved to the south, right? 
And it's like, maybe I'm walking around thinking all these people are dumb idiot hicks, redneck pieces of shit, and human trash. Yeah. Would you describe yeah. all the things I just said as prejudice toward the people they here? Just seem, they do seem prejudiced. Yeah. So maybe she comes to Earth and she's like, oh, look at these fucking, these are going to blow each other up with all these nuclear weapons. And they're like, they can't, their TV's bad. I don't like the, I don't like what's on the TV. I love Lucy's stupid. It's not even that funny. And then uh-huh. maybe she said, because she's like, oh, they're, and they won't accept us. They'll kill us if they find out who we are. But it's like, nah, man, you're the racist. You're the one. How about that? And I, I mean, I get what you're saying. I'll say it's it again. Do you of, want me to say it in another way? I can say It's kind of not what you said the first time. No, no, though, it's exactly Because what now what you're saying is that fear of other people's prejudice is evidence of your own prejudice. Whereas the first time you put the cart before the horse and made it seem like her, her, her prejudice against humans was that they would be prejudiced against her and not her. She worries that they'll be prejudiced against her because she's so prejudiced against them. Oh, um, well, you know, they're related and that's, let's just move on. Okay. <laughs> um, what do you got for execution well, on this zero point take? Well, so here's the thing. I didn't give it a no take. I gave it a zero point take, right? It's a slight distinction. Yeah, no take for you, I think, means no execution. They asked for a story, and they got a story. Yeah, they did. So the score that I give for execution for this episode is zero. Now, (laughs) it wasn't originally going to be zero. Sure. It was originally going to be two. Oh, what happened? There is a two-point deduction. Is it? For sexy silhouettes. Oh, because there were nips. And this is sexy silhouettes to an ex- 